Good, y'all. Welcome back to the Onyx Report. Black Masculine's news for the day. Man, Ooh, Tuesdays are my long days, y'all. I am literally uh, in this chair teaching from 930 uh, all the way through now. So I'm a little tired, but it is what it is. It is what it is. I mean, things could be much harder. So these are uh, what you call first world issues. <laughs> So much appreciation to y'all for coming through. Hope everybody is well. I uh, see a number of people in here. We're jumping off with 141 tonight before we even get started. So y'all make sure you hit the like button coming on, on, on in. so We can get into some of this madness um, and maybe open the door for some of you, you guys to come through. First things first, though, um, like, share, subscribe, join, and donate. Support the channel if you will. So we can continue to bring you independent black male thought. Um, and, you know, dialogue about the issues that are pertinent to us, you know, so shout out to those of y'all who are in here. Uh, it's much appreciated. So a couple things you guys know, I've been, I've been saying this for the last few weeks. I am trying to get to 30,000 subs here on YouTube and, uh, YouTube keeps unsubscribing people yet. I am last time I checked, maybe about 600 subs uh, away from that goal. So hopefully you share the word that can continue to expand and grow. We are broadcasting on Facebook, LinkedIn, and, uh, of course, YouTube today. So make sure that uh, you get the word out so that people can check us out. But we will also be broadcasting in a new way that I announced last Friday on social media, but I haven't done a video since I announced it. And that is that um, we have officially set up a channel. So this is an actual channel that you can find uh, on Roku, on Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Android TV, and you can download an app, an app from iPhone or Android's uh, app uh, store, and all you got to put in is the Onyx Network, and uh, this is a channel that is rolling 24 hours a day, and really, um, like I said, and uh, I'm just now getting the word out, really, verbally, uh, through video. I haven't said anything except through Green Gorilla Show, I think, Sunday. I might have mentioned it. But if you didn't get a chance to check that out, please make sure you check out the new Onyx Network. We'll be featuring a lot of the material that we have here on YouTube, uh, the Institute for Black Male Studies, uh, some of the projects that I've even done at Fresno State. And I am welcoming plenty of other suggestions. So I hope you'll use the comment section to... Make, give me some ideas about what you guys would like to see on the channel. So we're just getting started. It is just being launched. Um, like I said, it's 24-hour day programming, you know, so you can check it out on all of those different uh, platforms, and it is going. So, you know, I hope that uh, you guys will enjoy it and share it, you know, get the word out, as I said. So we, we're on all kinds of platforms kind of pushing this message, and I think it is starting to gain some traction Believe it or not, um, I do think it is starting to gain some traction. We're starting to hear back from people in spaces I did not expect to hear from, right? So what do I mean? Well, let's check it out. Uh, let me pull this uh, pull this out real quick. 
Mm-hmm. One second. I had to quit trying to download stuff while I'm starting the show. All right. So come back to that later. All right. So if we check out. Oh, goodness. Full screen is not. And this is the kind of stuff. That has never happened before. It's been set for the longest. But today is the day that this thing wants to act special. All right. That's all right. We'll get it. We'll get it. There we go. So I put in blackmail political agenda. Uh, and this is something I've been telling you guys. Since we developed the blackmail political agenda in 2020 here on the Onyx Report, uh, we have uploaded that to uh, you know its static location. I will provide the link in the chat, but it has been the same for the last two years. It is on newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com. And it is the pinned post that you'll find if you go to that link. Now, let me be clear, and I try to say this every time I present it, if I don't, or if I've forgotten to, let me reiterate, it does not need to remain at 14 points. It is 14 points because that is what it is right now. But this is an open living document that black men, I hope, will contribute to to help advance uh, our own ability to articulate our issues and put them into policy ideas um, that uh, will improve the quality of life of black men and boys. So, as I said, it's currently at 14 points, but it can be 300 for all I care. So just you can you can go to the link. You can actually um, comment in the comment section, come up with policy ideas you think are important, or you can email me. Uh, the easiest way is to go to my website, uh, thassanjohnson.com. My email address is right at the top, displayed. You copy and paste that. Go ahead and send me an email that you think, uh, as far as whatever idea you may have. Shout out to Hakeem for that support. Shout out to Brandon. Appreciate that support, sir. Um, PhD Music. I appreciate that support. Um, uh, Barry, thank you very much for supporting the channel. You know, um, just wanted to get some of those acknowledgements uh, out there. Shout out to Greg for the cash app. But yeah, support the channel if you will. And I appreciate those brothers for doing so. But the reason I'm showing you this page is, as you can see, right, 31,500,000 results. And if you look up blackmail political agenda, I didn't say 14 point, just blackmail political agenda. These first three are mine, right? This comes from the Onyx Reports. Uh, this is a reflection of our discussions. But after that, you get black agenda. You know, you get opportunities for black men and boys, media portrayals, policy agendas for black Americans, right? All of this, nothing specific to black men. I have not been able to find a black male political agenda yet. And again, that isn't to say there isn't one. That's just to say I haven't found one. And if there is one, please send it to me. I would love to see it. I am not, you know, that egotistical to believe that, you know, I have to have developed something that hasn't been before. I would love to see it and see where we could add to what we have. But at the end of the day, if there is one, it doesn't seem to be as readily known or, or as available. And what I think this speaks to is the fact that black men really haven't thought about themselves as a demographic politically. We think about other demographics. We think about the community in a far more gen generic sense. You know, so when you ask us what we think will improve our quality of life, we think about what will improve the community's quality of life. That has not been the case for other demographics. What we found in the last 40 years is there's been a very concerted 
effort, very targeted and focused effort to advance the political mobilization of black women. And that's all well and good for black women, but that has often alienated black men. And I think where that has gotten us politically, I will share with you in a moment. So I just wanted to kind of highlight for you that, you know, at the end of the day, um, that has kind of been an issue that affects, you know, our ability to talk about our own uh, political interests. As a matter of fact, when you hear people actually interview black men and ask them questions, you don't really get clear answers as to what it is we think and, and need as far as our political understanding. What's up, Dr. Thunder? Good to see you in here. Right. So this is part of the problem. Well, the first thing I wanted to kind of go over with you is an article that you can find on the Baltimore Sun. And this is for from Charles M. Blow talking about the Democrats black male voter problem. Right. Guess commentary. Uh, also, I guess, published on The New York Times. Um, I saw the title there, but it was behind a paywall. So anyway, September 14th is, is when it was dated. And he covers a few things that I think are interesting and reflect what it is that we need to be talking about. Right. So he says last month in a videotaped appearance for a pod Save America live show, Stacey Abrams, celebrated Democratic activist and the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia, said black men have the power to determine the election in the state after explaining that some black men cho chose not to vote because often the leadership that gets elected is not reflective of their needs, she said. I know that if we have the kind of turnout possible among black men and they vote for me, I will win this election. That is why my campaign has been so focused on making sure we're addressing those challenges. Now, I've talked about this before, right? In the public meeting she had with a number of black men, I did a show on that. She listed an agenda that she had prioritized apparently. You know, I don't know who listed that agenda out didn't seem like it was something motivated by black men. Um, and, you know, she started the conversations dealing with abortion and went on to a number of generic issues related to the black community. Very little of it seemed to be targeted at black men. Right? I think the event was 30, 40 minutes and she bounced. And to me, it just highlighted the extent to which we need to have a far more conversation about uh, what it is black men need. Because I think in many ways we've been taken for granted. Black, the black community in general, but black men. Because here's the thing, we're we're the most disenfranchised voting voting block. Right? And there's so much attention paid to what is it, the 12% of voters that started voting Republican, uh, conservative, whatever. And the problem with that is there's more focus placed on that than the fact that black men voted to the second highest degree for the, for Democrats. Follow me here. This is what I mean. The Democrats. And the left in general had very shame, you know, had a lot of shaming language toward black male voters, even though we were the second highest demographic to vote Democrat, all because the percentage of men voted conservative. None of it had to do with actually listening to black men. When we did see them attempt to listen, it would be these short little barbershop, you know, performances where they invite three or four brothers on and ask them generic questions. And that'd be kind of it. Right. And that was mainly through the presidential election. So, you know, in that, there was no real focus on black men's interests, right? And this article kind of bounces around that a little bit, but he ultimately equivocates and says he doesn't really know what the answer is, but we'll continue. He says, as the Atlanta uh, Journal-Constitution pointed out, this echoed a statement she had made at a Stacey and the Fellows event yeah, in the state where she said, if black men vote for me, I'll win Georgia. 
this is the first time I've heard black men directly, you know, identified as a block worth voting for, uh, worth, uh, you know, uh, trying to deal with, trying to engage for their votes. And considering it's 2022, that says a lot. Why this specific focus on black men? It is most likely because an AGC poll from July found that she was significantly underperforming with black voters with just 80% of the black electorate supporting her, although Georgia Democrats usually get more than 90% of the black electorate. The campaign seems to be focused, uh, focusing specifically on black men when considering this deficit. So in other words, you know, black women have been tapped out as a resource and you need more. And in a last ditch effort, realize that, you know, nobody's catered to the men of your own community for generations, really. That's that's what that sounds like to me. Uh, this campaign's uh, okay. So notably, uh, Raphael Warnock, a, a black Democratic senator from the state who was running for re-election, got the support of about 85% of black people in the poll. Now, there may be something different in the appeal of these candidates. There's definitely a difference in the quality of their opponents, or we might simply be seeing the familiar side of misogyny creeping in. Now, this kind of shaming language is already a problem. Right? Anytime black men don't follow the, you know, the voting dictates that we're given in our community, it's either misogyny or stupidity, right? Uh, or, you know, stupidity can be split in two ways, a lack of intelligence or limited intelligence, or this kind of idea that we're too immature to understand the real politics at play, right? And this is why we need get your booty to the poll kind of commercials, you know, where we got to be tempted by strippers to come vote, because the idea is we don't, we don't really understand politics. There's no serious reflection on whether or not Black men you know, actually just abstained from voting or shifted their political interests or shifted their voting practices just to shake the tree and see if anything new will fall out. Because the relevant question on the table I've had for years is how much different is the quality of black male life regardless of who's in office? How much does it actually change on the ground? I'm curious about that. Does it change significantly enough to warrant that black men vote for any particular party? Anyway. It's hard for me to tell, he says, although I wish I had the answers here, I don't, but I will say this trend appears to be bigger than just Georgia. We've seen a similar differential uh, between black men's and black women's votes on the national stage. According to the Associated, Press, Associated, Associated Press's uh, vote cast survey, 12% of black men voted for Donald Trump in 2020, compared with the just 6% of black women. This was consistent with 2016 levels when 14% of black men voted for Trump. What's happening nationally may well be bleeding down into what's happening in the states, such as Georgia. He goes on from there. So I agree with him that uh, what we're seeing is much larger than just Georgia. I do. I think Stacey Abrams is representing what it is to put your toe in the water to see if black men can be courted with baubles. Nothing of real significance. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, just how much do these black men need to actually focus on, you know, following through with the dictates of what, you know, the Democratic Party has asked us to vote for and expects us to vote for. And in particular, even black, well, black, uh, black women, uh, electoral candidates. Right. Because the idea for years has been whatever black women say we need to do politically, we just need to do. But again, in none of that, do we actually see an emphasis on focusing on black men and actually sitting down and listening to what they have to say. So you have these political performance events, but nothing more substantive than that, right? 
much of what we've seen in many respects has been what I've identified as a, as a sort of solipsism with black women. And, and, and I've talked about this in a couple of areas, but we can focus on it politically, uh, even though I think um, acquisi acquisition of certain types of resources really bleeds into this political discussion. Right. So politically, what I think we're seeing here with Stacey Abrams is the realization that you can only get so far with black women being the priority focus of one political party. And if you want to extend further and really, you know, find out the full reach of the black community, you, you actually have to talk to black men. You can no longer assume black men's votes just because we're here. Black men are actually stepping back because none of this conversation has been toward us anyway. The, the, the solipsism I'm talking about, this focus on nothing but each other, as far as the women are concerned, I think is finally having some blowback. Now, what do I mean by this? Okay. Well, last couple of years, I've talked about um, Google, MasterCard, uh, Goldman Sachs, um, uh, Visa, a number of other major corporations that have started to put serious dollars, up to $10 billion, into black women's future, you know, employment issues, political issues. We've also seen states putting forth dollars just for black single mothers. We've seen these kind of investments that are federal, state, philanthropic. We've seen BLM that has virtually excused heterosexual black men from any significant leadership in the organization while garnering just $90 million in 2020 alone. We, haven't, we don't even talk about how much they pulled in prior to that going from Michael Brown forward. We just fixate on this 90 million that take, took place in 2020. And now there's a big fight within the organization as to who gets to control that money. But heterosexual black men are not even part of that discussion. The only part of the discussion we fit is when we die enough for BLM to use us as a platform to bait and switch the discussion on issues that really don't even foreground black males. Right. But all of this speaks to the type of black female solipsism I'm talking about. The, the, the tunnel vision focus on anything and everything that just fixates on women and girls. And one of the things I've been saying is in all the corporations I've met, I mentioned that have identified black women as the target for their, for, for their philanthropic investments, I would bet money, and I've been confirmed in a number for a number of these corporations, that you have black women working in these organizations, uh, providing uh, reports, requests, you know, applications, uh, projects toward urging those corporations from within to invest in black women, not, not the black community, just other black women and girls. That's the solipsism I'm talking about. And politically, politically, when you see this happening again, it's about employing and empowering other black women, even entrepreneurially, when you see them putting forth businesses, it's interesting to run across how many businesses black women produce just for other black women. It's a solipsism that I think is having a blowback. And again, I've called this a black masculinist turn. These are significant moments where black men are, are realizing, realizing that they are not a part of this discussion and really don't matter to too many people who take us for granted, need us, but won't acknowledge us. And in many ways, don't even treat us like human beings. Shout out to Ruckus Buck, says black women have had the keys to leadership in our community for 30 years. And they won't give them up without a fight. I don't think black men are even fighting it. I think black men are saying, all right, that's what you want. But you're finding that even with the so-called keys of leadership, you actually still need half the community. But anyway, 
Dr. CD2, shout out to you. Thanks for the support. Says Abrams is saying if black men vote for her, she wins. The subtext, those brothers in Georgia will be scapegoated if she loses. I think so. And it's interesting because, you know, nobody's really engaged us politically in a minute. So all of a sudden we're the central part of the discussion. And we can talk about just how relevant um, the policies they've been creating have been. Right? And we'll find out. Now, somebody sent me, I had it up a minute ago. I must have cleared it when I was closing out my class. But, uh, hold on. All right. So. What I'm going to try to do here is play a clip that a number of you sent me. You guys know, for some reason, one day I'll have sound issues, another day I won't. And I have checked this system out and it seems to be working, but you know, I mess around and get an update and it throws everything off. So I'm going to play first few seconds of a clip and I need to tell from you all if you guys can actually hear it so uh you guys give me a one in the chat if you can hear what i'm about to play but people have to understand what what resonates with black men when you represent strength why do black men respond to minutes of lewis farrakhan okay so just so i can see trying to see if somebody can put a one if you can hear it beautiful now we're working all right so i'll continue it is strength, not weakness. Now, you can say it's policy, you can say it's crazy, but if I, I need to understand the psychosis of the individual mm -hmm. to understand why they might vote someone in order for me to reach them. So we're talking about how to reach them. I remember in 2016 telling Hillary Clinton to her face, you have a black male problem. Where are your black male surrogates? Well, what about the CBC? I said, no. Why? I said, where are the black men? You must send black men talking to black yeah. men because we have a different conversation with Very one true. another. That's their failure. Yeah. And so if you don't do that, then you are going to lose. Stacey has a great platform, but she needs black male surrogates yes. out who? talking like, to Who brothers. are some people who could be like sur great sur surrogates for her? Because well, it can't always be politicians. Like sometimes they need to be the local path, the, the barbershop owner, the, the, the exec, the, right. court room, you know, the, the corporate office exec. Sorry, Cliff, were you trying to say something? Yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think Roland's got a... I think Roland's got a got an actual uh, an excellent point. You know, I think you know there's been a whole thing talking about Herschel Walker and how he he can't tell the truth and how much he lies. And there's a segment of of the the black male voter population for which like telling a lie is actually a cool thing, right? I, I, I'm I'm just keeping it real. Like that's, that's part of the yeah. thing with Trump, right? You know, it's, it's so. Um, but I think that you know we we need the equivalent really to this point about surrogates. We need the equivalent of like what the WNBA. Um, and the Atlanta Dream did for Robert yeah. Warren. I keep in mind he was he was low in the polls until the Dream started wearing his shirts, and that's that's really where he started to skyrocket. We need the equivalent of that, um, you know, shouting out Warnock, but also you know poking home polls in uh, Herschel Warnock. I mean Herschel Warnock and Herschel Walker, you know, to to really have him be as ridiculed within black male circles as like Dr. Oz is being ridiculed in Pennsylvania for his predator or whatever. you like, we need that kind of strategy and we need those kinds of surrogates that can really yeah. point that out. I think people like Cedric and, and some others, mm -hmm. like we need, if every black male comic just had a routine on Herschel, 
I think yeah. that would be enough yeah. right there. But it's not just Georgia. It's <laughs> Mandela, Bat Barnes in Wisconsin. It's Sherry Beasley, North Carolina. It's Dennis yeah. in Florida. There has to be a strategy. And I'm going to keep saying it again. If you're not spending money on black-owned media and you're not listening to black people in the Democratic Party, yeah. and let me look at the camera, white strategists who are controlling the money, you keep trying to chase those suburban voters, you're going to lose big. Yeah. And so put the money where the people are. All right. Okay. So... Interesting segment in and of itself. Roland Martin talking about the failures of the Democrat Party when it comes to appealing to black men and his answer, especially for, um, you know, uh, Stacey Abrams is to have more black men talking to other black men. But this is the problem. What good is that if you're not actually engaged with the ideas that attract black men's interests? See, what they're ultimately saying is that we need more black men to convert us to what it is they already want to offer rather than actually wanting to hear what black men want. But I do think Stacey Abrams has heard it and I'll get to that in a second. Now there's another clip that um, I don't think, I think I had it a while ago, but I think I had it in a different medium. And again, this stuff is so inconsistent. I can't really tell if uh, you guys can actually hear it. So again, I apologize. Um, you gotta do the, 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 the kind of test thing again. Um, but you guys let me know if you can hear what I'm about to play. Here we go. Roland made a really uh, legitimate point here. So just in terms of that, give me a one. If you heard that little clip right there, of a woman's voice, that was Tiffany cross. Somebody let me know if it was something you could hear. Mark says one. Okay. Appreciate that. Well, let's listen to the last portion of it. It's only about 40 seconds. Um, I will say, you know, a lot of black men sometimes feel like they're ignored or they're put down, particularly sometimes even by black women in the media. So this is not that. But I do hear Roland's point that I felt ignored. But you feel ignored and then you go over to the other side. The op- First of all, first of all, I'm a stickler on this I feel thing. And no, I'm not some inhumane robot that can't stand feelings. It's not what I mean. But I can't tell you how often I've heard this I feel at the beginning of a sentence, which I think, especially in class, drives me nuts. I don't care what you feel at this juncture. I'm asking you what we read about. I'm asking you your thoughts on something. So, But the way she's using it here, when she talks about I feel, to me, I took that as a very patronizing gesture, right? I feel like Black men, uh, you know, or don't feel hurt. You know what? To me, that's, that's gaslighting. If Black men say they don't feel heard, and they pull away from voting instead of telling us, you know, about what you think black men feel. Why don't you address whether or not there are issues that are, be, you know, or policies being offered toward black men that reflect their interests? How about we start with that instead of telling us whether or not we're being heard and how we feel about it and whether you think it's genuine or not. Start with are there policies put on the table for black men that suit their interests? And how do you know they suit their interests? But I'll let her continue with the last portion of what she was saying. Oppressed, feel oppressed. So then you go and try to align with the oppressor. So I'm not putting black men down, but sometimes it's like, well, some of you, Kevin Samuels, following Tariq Nasheed, quoting people, please look at the truth and see what's happening and get in line with some of the black women. Is majority, like he said, folks. Shut up and get in line, boy. I think uh, GC said it well, right? Tiffany Cross, shut up and do as I say. Absolutely. That's precisely what we're hearing here, right? 
And this little dig at Kevin Samuels, Tariq Nasheed, that's a deflective way of saying we think you're idiots. But because we need you, we're not going to call you idiots. We're going to gaslight you a little bit in this quick 40-second segment. And we're going to dismiss the entirety of the first widespread movement of Black men articulating themselves that I've seen in my entire lifetime. The very first where you see Black men coming together across class, across occupation, across geography, across ideology, across religion where you're seeing black men come together and start to articulate themselves. And the first response you can give is to dismiss it. See, here's the thing, this whole question of the manosphere and whether or not it's relevant. Well, if you didn't think it was relevant, the fact that she just named Kevin Samuels and Tariq Nasheed should tell you as much. Should absolutely tell you as much. It's relevant. It's relevant enough to shake the timbers. It's relevant enough to, to, to really fire the alarms to let them know that they are out of touch with men. But instead of actually listening to men, again, it's shaming after shaming after shaming. Fall in line, fall in line, vote the way we tell you to vote, think the way we tell you to think, date who we tell you you should be dating, uh, don't date who we tell you you shouldn't be dating, don't go to any countries we don't want you to go to, and just take what we give you. Enjoy it, as a matter of fact, what we tell you to enjoy. And don't say anything else about it. Shut up and fall in line. But that's an old playbook that I think black men are moving away from. Again, I call this the black masculinist turn. Even this interview, who about 30 people sent to me, tells me black men are operating in a very different way than we have in past generations, in past time periods. Black men are starting to require more for their interests, be it in intimate relationships or now in terms of votes. What may have started in the manosphere as just a complaint about dating and mating has now morphed into what I hoped it would, a whole focus about the 360 degrees of black male life and what it is that many black men want. And it's not to say that all black men agree on everything, but it is to say we're having a conversation and it isn't about making you feel good and it isn't about whether or not you like what we're saying. We are requiring the freedom to work the shit out and not do it by some politically correct standard because that politi politically correct standard has not worked for us. And I say that as a professor. We have been held to a politically correct standard more than quite a few other demographics. Black male professors at that and most black male pro professors won't tell you the truth about what they think even after years of study, maybe until you get a few beers in them and you're in the right environment, then you'll find out. Short of that, you will get the politically correct presentation of what it is we, you know, you, you know, we, we, what we want to say that doesn't get us fired or canceled or attacked or falsely accused of something we didn't do. And trust me when I tell you, I've talked to way too many professors to let you know that the false accusation shit is real. And it can be over something as simple as a disagreement about what a professor said, what his motivations might've been, what he inferred, what he meant by a look given in class or whether or not the class just feels afraid and unsafe in his presence. These are the type of accusations that black male professors get and black men across different, you know, different occupations. But the point I'm getting at is that there is a response, right? A response to black men speaking freely. So instead they came to YouTube and social media and many of them hide their faces, hide their names so they don't have to suffer beyond what's rational, just to work out an opportunity to figure out what they think, what they believe, and what we can negotiate amongst each other as black men.
I think this has a few more seconds. Democrat, but that margin of people who could be plucked away from your people and go advance policies that harm your people, I just don't understand that. Well, maybe because certain demographics in the community have articulated that they're not our people. What they say verbally and what they do politically, two very different things. What they do socially, what they do professionally, two different things. It's like the Atlanta Compromise in a very strange and twisted fashion, where many Black women have claimed to have very little connection to Black men outside of sex, semen, and reproduction on an occasional basis, but politically, completely night and day. Policy ideas, night and day. Electoral issues and candidates, night and day. No question of respect, no question of um, connection, community, all of those things go out the window when it comes to Black men. And this is what we're dealing with. So that being said, one of the things I want to point to Shout out to Dwayne for the support. Says, don't be surprised if they start using brothers as Trojan horses for their agenda. That's already been going on, man. That's already been going on. They sent male feminists into the manosphere very recently. Well, they've done it in, in cycles. But recently, they've sent a few in. Or even uh, people like uh, FD Signifier, you know, to my understanding, said he was paid to do an analysis, as, he, as it were, of the black manosphere. Paid by who? Right. He comes in, disrupts, disrespects, dismisses, then disappears. Word. Okay. But mostly shames. And he's not alone. There are a number of others that did the same. They'll come in, poke their head in, shame people, and leave. All to promote the idea that these brothers are not worth hearing. But here's the thing. I want to imp uh, impress upon you. It's not about what individual black men have said on YouTube or any other social media platform. It's about the conversation that black men are having and where it's going. That's the point of emphasis. They want to make it about what one guy said. And you'll, you'll notice they'll pull together these, these, uh, you know, uh, these little recordings that they slice together are the most extreme things that somebody said on a panel, most particularly when it comes to women. But they, they reject any of the things that come down to measured and reflective analyses, expressions, I did a show a week ago where a brother came on and he talked about, he might even be here in the chat, in the, in the chat right now, but he talked about um, finding out that his daughter wasn't his and how he was lied to and used paternity fraud. And he expressed how much it hurt him. And there were people in the chat who actually, you know, were feeling him. He had to get off a couple of different times because you could hear the pain in his voice. Strange when people create these montages of the manosphere, those kind of segments get ignored where black men are actually expressing their frustration, their issues and their legitimate complaints about being disregarded and taken for granted. Only the most extreme and, you know, socially or politically repugnant ideas and thoughts. Those are the only things that get heard. But black men are not just doing that. They are also working out ideas about the reality they want to create. And here's the thing. If you're not willing to work with black men to create them. They're not waiting. They're working out solutions on how to create the lives they want, regardless of whether anybody likes it. And they don't give a damn. And that is something I've been waiting to see. Shout out to Keith for the support. He said, you're doing God's work, brother. Black men are starting to gather in thought, and that is dangerous to the status quo. I wanted to say thank you. Much appreciation, man. Guy in the black suit says the black manosphere has now crossed the political Rubicon. We can only move forward and upward. Agreed.
uh, ghetto user shout out to you says support the scholar get the likes up thank you for that please hit the like button if you will um you know and again support all the mediums that we're creating to, to have these discussions because these are things that that you know our forebears it, 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 look my father my grandfather my great-grandfather i come from a line of men who spoke to men my grandfather worked in prisons counseling men who were locked up my father was a pastor worked with men from here to africa i've been doing the same now for 25 years oh shit no 30. oh man yeah 30. i've been working with brothers for 30 years even before i really knew that's what i wanted to do and one thing i will tell you is i've never seen a space like this where black men are working out their ideas freely so that said, I can tell you we're being heard. And the way I know we're being heard is when we actually explore how Stacey Abrams has decided to respond. Right? She's decided to respond with what she calls a black men's agenda. Excuse me for a minute. Let me get a sip of water here. Sorry. I've been lecturing all day. Yeah, lecturing all day. It's been a long one. Anyway, uh, black men's agenda. Now, why do I think she's been listening to us? Well, I showed you guys earlier. Black male political agenda, what you saw, only pertains to what we produced here. And all of a sudden, Stacey Abrams comes out with a black men's agenda. Now, why would she name us? Why would she, you know, name the actual website where you can actually see the black male political agenda? Why would she do that? That's just going to call uh, bring attention uh, to her and uh, to, uh, you know, us in a way that uh, she probably won't like. Right? And as you can see in here, we lay out a number of things. Now, here's the thing. The black male political agenda, I did not write. It has actually been written by supporters of the Onyx Report. And it is uh, 14 major points, many of which have uh, many subpoints to them. As a matter of fact, the very first one, family court reform, has 12 subpoints. And even though I didn't list it by priority, I can tell you based on the number of subpoints added to each one, the first issue black men had was family court reform. That's number one. The second issue was law enforcement. Now think about that. BLM built its platform on the arbitrary killing of black men by police officers, not vigilantes, not groups, police officers. So we're speaking to law enforcement. Black men not only found law enforcement to be important, but actually prioritized family court reform to a greater degree. How bad does family court policy and practice need to be for you to hear that black men have prioritized it over being killed by fucking police officers? What is it that black men have to be going through that makes that worse? Electrician 480, appreciate that support. So this is the reason why I came to the Black Manosphere, political power for black men. Championship rounds, thanks for the support, says Abrams endorsed a white man named Charlie Bailey over a black man named Kwamza Hall for Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, but wants my vote because I'm black. 
I appreciate those contributions. I'm not in Georgia. I'm not professing to know much about Georgia. Uh, Shocks 112 says uh, policy addition, lowering the standard of evidence for employment discrimination. Okay, go to the, uh, you know, the actual document on WordPress and add that to the comments, please. Uh, Passport OG says enough black men have woken up that it's time to crack the whip of shame. But like uh, trip and glory, thank thank works no longer. Okay, you know. Stephen Dunn, appreciate the support, says, with regards to rescuing the ADOS community, specifically Black community in general, I think the majority of Black men have taken the Batman Begins approach. We're not going to kill you, but we don't have to save you. That is an ill reference. I got to give you props on that one. (laughs) That is an ill reference. I like that. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm a geek. It is what it is. You you use a Batman reference properly. You got my attention. Uh, (laughs) That was tight. Uh, let me see. Black Uru in the house. What's going on, man? As black men should vote against Stacey Abrams, embrace being blamed for why she lost, and then use that as a point of political leverage and power against the Democratic Party that black men will no longer be trifled with. Okay. That looks like that might actually be in the works. Uh, shout out to Dara. He says, uh, these are exciting times for black men. It is clear that space is shaking things up or that this space is shaking things up. Can't wait to see how we seize this moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we can't take our foot off the gas. We got to keep pushing. So here's the thing. So she creates this black men's agenda, which sounds very similar to the 14-point black male political agenda without any direct acknowledgement. But as I told you guys, I've had politicians that have, uh, you know, reached out to me and told me they're looking at this and they'd like to, you know, kind of find out more about what black men think. But again, the number one point we see, family court reform. So if you want to have a conversation with black men, that's going to need to be an issue. But let's look at what Stacey Abrams put forth to black men. So she has this kind of 14, I think it's about 14 points um, or 12 points here on the side that she's about in terms of her overall platform. And for black men, she puts forth about four major ones. And you can download the agenda uh just so you know what that looks like that's what it is the pdf document you know broken up into roughly four very brief areas right you can download it and see that's what it is economic security healthcare and housing education and job training criminal justice and public safety shout out to black man swimming says i'm in georgia georgia voting for kim okay right hit the like button support the show if you will Again, like, share, subscribe, join, and donate. And if you will, download the Onyx Network on any platform you watch uh, TV on, even your phone. Uh, Download the app, support the new channel. But uh, she starts this by saying, Black men deserve leadership that sees them, serves them, and believes in them. I'm committed to investing in Black men, their families, and their businesses by leveraging Georgia's $5 billion surplus, a plan that economists agree will not raise taxes. So the first one, Economic security, she starts out talking about provide capital and contract opportunities for black small business. Look, when you immediately know that there's a problem when you've read the very first sentence, I'm just saying, if there's a problem with the very first sentence, I mean, Okay, look, look, I'm going to show you something. Going back to the the 14-point agenda, just real quick. We're going to go to the very first point, family court reform, right? 
let's just read. We're just going to read the one sentence here. There we go. The family courts treatment of black men has unfairly and drastically diminished black men and boys quality of life by privileging women as the primary caregivers. Is there any equivocation as to what that means? Is there any guesswork? Were you unclear? Now, obviously, the political agenda, the black male political agenda that we put together is not a, a, a document written by those who are political insiders. And that's very purposeful. I wanted to keep it that way. I wanted to keep it in a fairly straightforward language that the everyday person can, can participate in for a reason. Every formation of professionals starts to refine its language. And in that refinement, it excludes the majority. There's a reason you don't hear me use a lot of academic jargon. I can. I've published using plenty of it. But if I do that here, I end up with five viewers. I want to actually include people in the discourse, most particularly black men. So I use a language that, as a matter of fact, I didn't, again, these are contributions sent by everyday people, some of which are highly educated white collar black men, some of which are blue collar brothers. I might even have a couple of homosexuals that just had some good ideas and were laying around and shot them in on their phone. Don't know, don't care. As long as the ideas are relevant, all I care about. But the language is such that it can be accessed by anybody. The question is, do the ideas actually benefit the black men it's supposed to target? That's the focus. The very first sentence of this document speaks to black men. Let's go back to Stacey Abrams. Very first sentence, provide capital and contract opportunities for black small businesses. One of the things we've seen in the pandemic was when they started to talk about supporting black small businesses, it primarily focused on black women. Brothers came forward on the Onyx Report, and I've said this before, they actually talked about how they had to get a black female face to front their businesses in order to get loans or resources. To take advantage of some of the opportunities during the pandemic, the opportunities we're seeing people getting locked up for in some respects, but not the brothers I'm talking about. Many black men began to articulate how they, they didn't have access to these resources that were supposed to help small business. The focus was on black women and girls, or really black women in terms of the entrepreneurial focus. So if you're going to talk about opportunities for black small businesses, and you're going to, you're going to mention Georgia's $5 billion surplus, why can't you say black men in a document for black men? Ayamba says, uh, I appreciate the support. He says, notice how Abrams ignores issues regarding family court reform. Um, she doesn't want to upset black women's child support checks. Okay, there we go. None of this is accidental. I'm not saying she's stupid. I'm saying she, she knows what she's doing and she's going to avoid certain things to not have to be held accountable. Douglas, uh, shout out to Douglas. He's been a guest on the show, uh, you know, a uh, very trusted uh, colleague. I appreciate his comments. He says, I've reached out to her, particularly on her gun policy, as gun control enforcement is used disproportionately against black men, but get only silence. Real talk. Real talk. I'm putting that on the screen because I want you to be able to see it. Uh, you know, and dial it in. Right? That's real. That's what we're looking at. So here we are. The very first sentence, she implies the $5 billion surplus. First thing she talks about is black small business, doesn't mention black men. Establish a $10 million small business investment fund. Okay. Is there a percentage of this that you're targeting at black men? Is the whole thing 
that you only is this all, all something that you only disperse to black men or are you just telling us that there's a fund with 10 million dollars in it that small black businesses can get what does that mean be clear now if i've misunderstood and because it's in the black male agenda and you're saying that this is for black male entrepreneurs perfect that's great but the fact that you won't say so doesn't make many a black man reading this feel like comfortable it doesn't give us the impression that you think about these ideas and how they relate to our political interests. It says that you're willing to say whatever gets us to the poll in your interest. Black men require more specificity. This is not enough as far as that's concerned. I don't have a problem with the 10 million. I just don't know what you mean by that. Eliminate fees and red tape to start your own business. Okay. Still don't know who you're talking to. Increase purchasing from Black-owned businesses to uh, by state entities. Sounds nice. Ice Cube did something um, similar, and he was talking to Black America, but I don't fault the brother because his plan was about Black America. Here, you're talking to Black men. All right? Shout out to Shocks112. He says, any committees, commissions, or assemblies for the study of Black men are to be at least two-thirds Black men and chaired by a Black man. Now, you see that? See that? Just let me. I don't know anything about Shocks 112. No idea. For all I know, the brother could be uh, a political figure who's already in office. He could work at a train station. I know absolutely nothing about him whatsoever, but I know that sentence was clear and straightforward. No ambiguity to that. There it is. If you can't at least give people that in a document that you say outlines your program for them, that's a problem, right? It shouldn't be that a random person in my comment section can be more clear than Abrams platform. Uh, let's see, increase purchasing black owned businesses by state entities, allow multiple small companies to jointly bid on state contracts as prime, as a, as prime contractor. Close the gap between minority and non-minority business revenues in six to eight years at current pace will take a hundred. Minority and non-minority. So now it seems like we've gone from a generic black idea to a people of color idea. How exactly is this targeted at black men? If you're just using this as a platform to tell black men about programs you already have on the books, programs that many have already found themselves unable to access, then this is self-serving. Doesn't show that there's any real work being done toward black men. It just says, well, we have these programs. And a lot of programs, a lot of places, I should say, when I talk to black male professionals about these types of programs that anybody can apply to. Black men find themselves not getting them very often, and nobody talks about why. And I've seen this, and I've talked about this before. I've seen this even with professors and scholars. I know brothers who've been teaching for over 20 years, who are fully tenured and full professors, who've never taken a sabbatical. They've never taken a semester or a year off to write or anything. They wrote books while they taught. Never taken time off. And when, you, when I got to talking to one brother in particular, who's absolutely brilliant, young brother, full professor, when I asked him why, Nobody had, you know, had talked to him about it. All his black female colleagues had done so. They shared information with one another and they, they know various administrators and they help facilitate them through the process. Black men 
in most of the work environments we're in, we're lone cowboys. We're at the OK Corral every day, 24-7. No backup. And I say that to also suggest that we actually start supporting one another. Because ain't nobody else really coming to do it. Now, if you've met somebody that's good, that's willing to, great. Happy for you. But as a collective, most black men report, at least in terms of those who've interacted with the Onyx report in the last couple of years, not very much support for a damn thing. Most of us have to get it out of the mud, as it were. Right? Shout out to Obsidian. We've had to get it out of the mud, whatever we do. And we're compared to groups that have resources and, and measured by how well we produce against groups that have investment from resources. I'll tell you a very brief story before I get back to this. In 1994, I went to Korea with a group of black men and women from Los Angeles. And the reason we were invited to Korea was because after the uprisings in LA, the Korean government was very concerned about making sure there were no other such uprisings, uprisings that burned down Korean businesses in black communities. So they invited 50 of us, 25 high school, 25 college. I, you know, after that first year, I don't think they were going to bring back the high school kids. They were, they were buck wild. But I was in college and I went. And one of the things we did, they split us all up for one night. And I sat with a wealthy Korean family. And they explained to me after giving me a Nike Air Jordan gym bag or whatever fucking purpose. But they explained to me the, the way that the poor Koreans that got to L.A. got there. And what he said was, you know, many of the wealthy got together. We pooled our money. We bought a bunch of property. We bought gas stations and liquor stores, and we set up apartments for these families. And many Korean families had to be in apartments with multiple families. But they started with businesses. And the idea was their kids would go to school and their kids would be able to advance and get into jobs, get into the college degrees, start getting white collar jobs and reinvest and, and reinvest. So here you have this small population of people who move in with businesses already set up in their interests by the wealthy folk from their home country. And black men were being compared to groups like that. I sat in this man's house. I saw his mansion. I sat next to his kids. The same kids that wanted to know if I was in a gang and if I would rhyme like, uh, what is it? What did they ask me to rhyme like? It was, was it Snoop Dogg? I think that's what it was. It was either Snoop or Pac, but anyway, right? This is real. Others have investment. Black men are measured by others who are invested in, by entities, by structures, by institutions. Black men are getting it out of the goddamn mud and then we're measured by how well we compete against those with interest, right? So anyway, getting back to Abrams, um, let's see. Create $5 million family farms initiative to aid small and micro farms with financing. Okay. So you talk to black male farmers and you determined that this was something that they needed. I'm not saying she did or she didn't. What I'm saying is if you did, that would be something that would be worth saying at this juncture. What percentage of farmers are black males? Who did you talk to? How did you come up with this plan to help them? I'm not saying there's not an answer. What I'm saying is in a black male agenda, that's something I want to see. I want to know that you've invested in black male interests by talking to black men and coming up with ideas that are directly relevant to them. Not black people, not people of color, not men of color. 
Those are things I want to hear. Right. Uh, put money back in your pockets. Tax rebates for everyone making less than $250,000. The key word here. Everyone. If these things benefit black men on the back end, that's all well and good. But again, if you're going to make an agenda that targets a demographic and you're trying to sell them on why they need to vote for you, you need to do better than everyone. Is there exactly a, a percentage of black men that you're going to include in this program that demonstrates that you've prioritized them beyond everyone? Because here's the thing, nobody has. Black men find themselves at the bottom of most of the the most important metrics that we come across. And this rising tides lifts all boats approach that we've seen from Obama to Abrams doesn't work for black men. It works for some black women though, but generally not black men, right? End wage theft and misclassification, treating employees as independent contractors. Okay. Enforce unemployment regulations in cooperation with labor commissioner. 53% of Georgians denied unemployment during the pandemic were black. Okay, that's nice. But I can tell you that when you talk about black male unemployment, it's generally much larger than black unemployment. Even before the pandemic. Just saying. If you're going to talk to black men, then talk to black men. Don't give me generic percentages of, about black Georgians. Give me specific percentages about black male Georgians. Because I can tell you the black male unemployment rate is much higher. The black male homelessness rate is much higher than just black Georgians. And again, if this applies nationally the way Charles says it does, then what kind of conversations are we actually having with black men about their own interests? That's what I want to know. Shout out to Jason Hales. Appreciate that support. MS Delta, appreciate the generous support. As usual, he says, uh, Dr. T, keep teaching and lecturing. Will do. Uh, Kadash, and I hope I pronounced that properly. Appreciate the support. Says, I think Kevin's live stream on how the Queens on Fox Soul mistreated Ice Cube when he presented his plan made an impact that none of us saw coming. I did. I called it a black masculinist turn. It was one of the moments where we realized that in many respects, in many, and I mean this empirically, I'm not saying this just as hyperbole. In many respects, black men found out that they were fucking alone in a context where we still operated like we had a community. And in some generic way, we do sort of, but then again, if it's not in a way that's directly relevant to your daily life, is it really a community? If nobody's going to advocate for you or take you seriously when you require being advocated for, and when you put forth ideas, and by you, I mean Ice Cube as a representative of black men, you put forth ideas that gen- that are supposed to Im- improve the black community. And I, to my knowledge, Cube got a hundred million to do it. What were, what, what the cocktails with Queens tell Cube? Black women need special set-asides. Black women are a distinct and separate community unto themselves. I mean, we're all one when it comes to sex, uh, maybe reproduction, definitely family court, but policy? I don't think so. Judge Zilla, appreciate that, says 10 million in small business funds uh, slash 5,000 general living uh, level of grants, excuse me, general level of grants slash loans for startups, small business uh, equals 2,000 small business getting funded. 2022, 1.03 million um, small businesses in Georgia, 301,000 small businesses black owned, 
this is a pittance. Thank you for that. See, I don't profess to know everything about Georgia. Here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not a political insider. I'm open about that. I've never claimed to be, and I damn sure can't speak to Georgia. I live in central California. I'm not even in the areas of California that people call California. I'm in Fresno. That's the desert in the center of California. I am three to four hours away from the Bay Area, where you have San Francisco and Oakland, three to four hours away from Los Angeles, a few hours away more, further from San Diego. I'm in the middle of the state. You come to Fresno when you want vegetables and heat for no goddamn reason. 110 degrees, baby. That's where I'm at. So the specificity that you guys give about your particular areas is important, and especially on the, the political agenda. Add that level of specificity to the issues you want entertained. Tango Alpha, appreciate that, says straight masculine black men, men's men, that's who she needs to speak to. I won't disagree. Shocks 112 says uh, prison workforce pipeline programs directly to the occupation that they worked in prison upon parole as parole requires employment to make those same employees hire them upon release. Okay. Mr. Uh, Me Too says thanks for the word. Appreciate that. Distinguished legacy. Uh, appreciate that contribution. Thank you. All right. Anyway, go back to some of this. Um, okay, so healthcare and housing. Now, let me see. So, as far as economic security, right? There's only there's only a couple points so far on the blackmail political agenda that speak to this. We talk about targeted small small business support. We talk about targeted unemployment programs, targeted homelessness programs, and these are very generically open, right? They're generically open for more specificity. But what we do say in each of those areas is that it needs to be targeted specifically to black men and it needs to address the exact rates of unemployment, of, of homelessness, of small businesses and the needs they have. It needs to be specific to those. And those areas are left open for black men to contribute to them with specificity. But if you're going to contribute, they need to speak directly to the issues black males face. And we need to be able to bring those policies to bear with that level of clarity and focus. Right? I never said the black male political agenda was finished, but I did say it needed to be specific toward the needs of black men. All right. So as far as economic security it's a much more, in terms of what we have so far, it's still much more generic. But again, at least we address black males. All this shit is just generic. Right? Healthcare and housing. Um, she talks about expanding Medicaid. Adults making $9 an hour or less would be eligible for health insurance. We'll create 64,000 uh, good paying jobs. I don't know what good paying is, but the question I have for both of those is to what extent are black males prioritized in that? Anything? Can you give me a percentage? Can you tell me that there's an earmark category that only black men can fill up to a certain percentage? Can you tell me if there are any kinds of um, supporting figures, entities, offices that prioritize helping black men cut through the red tape she mentioned earlier? And primarily black men. And did you at least hire black men to serve as those red tape cutting individuals who advocate for black men trying to file for these benefits, for these offers that you're making to those who vote for you. Did you hire black men? Did you give them the power to cut through red tapes to make sure that black men can, okay, never mind. Because I'm sure if you did, you would have said so. You want those votes bad enough. That's what you do. Make housing more affordable for everyone. Again, 
key word here. Black men top the charts when it comes to homelessness. Black women, as of this year, top the charts in terms of the most evicted groups. We talked about this she economy since the pandemic and how many women were losing jobs and black women were considered fairly high on that list as well. Nobody asked the question how many black men didn't have jobs in the first place. How many of them were homeless before the pandemic? And those issues got worse. They just weren't included in the discussion since those who were losing more during the pandemic were the point of focus, not those that didn't have shit to begin with and lost even more. They didn't even make the newspaper. So again, when you come up with making housing more affordable, which is something everybody needs, most particularly black men and women, what exactly are you saying here that targets black men's specific needs? Right? We know that the demographic that suffered from homelessness to a greater degree than anybody were mostly coming out of prison, especially during the pandemic, had nowhere to go. But even before the pandemic, many of these brothers could not get housing. Excuse me, they had housing vouchers much of the time, but they still couldn't secure housing even with those vouchers. All those brothers ended up moving into tent cities, living in vehicles, sleeping under bridges. Maybe Georgia's different. Maybe Georgia's got that thing together and the brothers in Georgia are, are all well and good. Maybe they're all just living in nice apartments and they just need a little bit of help finding a, a similarly nice apartment that just costs a little less. Maybe that's what it is. Right? I'm sure my black male Georgians in the chat will let me know if Georgia has figured out how to keep black men employed and away from homelessness to such a degree that a housing program that makes things affordable for everyone will benefit them. If the system has denied and ignored them in the first place, what exactly does an everyone program do for the same people the system denied and, and, and ignored? Michael Evans says, no, we ain't all good, Doc. I mean, I was just guessing, but I appreciate that. At least I know from a, a Georgian. You know, Thomas says, uh, nope, Georgia's the same. Interesting. So let's continue. Oh, let me see. So she says, uh, support first-time homeowners and provide financial education. Support them how? What does that mean? And what does that have to do with black male homeowners? Black male first-time homeowners. Here's the thing. So I've been teaching for 24 years now at the college level, right? I've been in Fresno for about 14. Much of that time, even though I was tenured, I couldn't afford a house. The only reason I was able to buy a house is the, the white guy I was renting from, and I've shared this story on my channel before, so forgive me for those of you that have heard it, but I think it's pertinent to this. The white guy I was renting from decided that in order to appease his girlfriend who wanted him to buy more property, his debt to income ratio was offset and he needed to get rid of some of what he owned. So he needed to sell this house. And when he initially called me about it, he called me to tell me that I pretty much had to leave. I asked him if he would entertain me buying it, which was kind of a shortcut because when I tried to go through official channels, I didn't have enough money to cover it. So he said he'd entertain it. Long story short, a year later, I was able to get into it. And trust me, it took quite a bit. One of my brothers who I'd known since college, who was a real estate guru, was actually able to get me into the house. If it wasn't for him, shout out to Big Mike, I wouldn't be here. I'd have had to move to wherever I could afford to get into. And trust me when I tell you, it's one thing to move into an, a house or an apartment to rent it when you have a small baby who's three years old and a wife. When you walk in to rent a facility or rent a space, they kind of look at you like, okay, 
he doesn't look like he's going to shoot us in the middle of the night if we don't you know deal with him properly he looks tame but trust me when your wife is gone and your son is now 13 or so and he looks like he's incredibly tall for his age and none of them look cute or uh you know look like nice and sweet i mean you just see two black men they didn't give a damn if i was a tenured professor and that was the first letter i showed them didn't matter when i moved to fresno and when i had to switch from that house to this house and then when i finally bought this house i had the same letter i had each time that i am employed at fresno state as a tenured professor of course not the first one i was a employed as a professor. I wasn't tenured yet. But every time I showed that letter, it didn't matter. I had to apply to over 50 different places each time. So you're talking to someone with multiple degrees, two undergraduate degrees, a master's degree, a certificate, and a doctorate. And I still didn't qualify for 50 different places as far as they were concerned, just to rent. And I couldn't afford to buy. So what happens to the average everyday brother who's just trying to rent an apartment? And you're going to tell me that your program is to support first-time homeowners and provide financial education. Okay. What good is financial education to people who have no finances? But I'm just, you know, I'm just kidding. So create a permanent fund to finance property tax deferments for working class households facing rapidly rising property taxes caused by out-of-state buyers or gentrification. You're going to create a fund to finance property tax deferments for working class households. Sounds like another everyone. Again, if you're going to use policies that are for everyone and you're going to sell them to black men, at least designate what percentage of these policies are going to actually target black men. See, when you just say these policies are on the books. Okay. But to us, it sounds like the same old, same old. It sounds like the same mechanisms in place that keep us from getting these things when we apply for them haven't really changed. And here's the thing. The long-term impact of that, as Charles Blow was kind of, you know, inferring, is that Black men just stop applying to that shit. Just a month ago, I had a, a, a long-term, you know, uh, uh, um, colleague trying to get me to apply to these programs that she gets on a regular basis. And every single time in the 12 years that I've known her, that I've applied to these things, except for once, I got denied all the time. And the one program that I did get into, they didn't know what to do with me. It was primarily women. They didn't know what to do with me. So you know what they did? They dropped me. This was two years ago. I applied for a program to support my show, The Onyx Report. It was a small business program. There were, I think I saw maybe one, maybe two other brothers in it out of like 150 people in my little cohort. And it was supposed to be designed around helping small businesses. I didn't get one dime. I didn't get any support whatsoever. You know, the only, and they were supposed to hook you up with a mentor. So I got a mentor that I met with once. Never heard from her again. Never responded to my emails. And all she said was, you know, you should put this in the titles of your videos. That was it. No fucking help. So I'm saying... These are the kind of programs that black men get. These are the type of opportunities made available to us. They're generic everyone programs. And at the same time, we don't get them. And if we get them, they don't pri prioritize us. They don't know what to do with us much of the time. Much of the time. Education and job training. Increase funding to public schools and decrease over-disciplining of black children. Sounds nice. But you know who, who actually suffers more than black children? Black boys. 
you want to start looking at the rates of people who are actually pushed out of school. Look at the rates of people pushed into um, special ed. Look at the rates who are disciplined most. Yes, black girls compared to white girls. Astronomical. Black boys compared to everybody. Fucking ridiculous. And one of the solutions to this are more black male teachers. But speaking as a black male teacher and one who is taught at every level from elementary to middle school to high school to college, I can tell you there is no support system in place and in far too many capacities to support black male teachers. You know what generally happens? You get hired as a black male teacher. They throw you in a classroom with all the throwaway kids they don't want to be bothered with, give you very little support, leave you to your own devices. And when you come up with program ideas that might help stymie you and prevent you from being able to implement them until you burn the fuck out. And they bring in the next one. That's what happens with black male teachers much of the time. And if you have the testicular fortitude to stick it out, shout out to you. There's a lot of brothers that are like, unless I'm going to get the support I need to really have the impact that I want to have on these kids, I need more than putting me in a room, giving me the, the kids that have the most challenges, giving me the least amount of support. Doesn't work. Far too much of the time. Um, okay. Uh I missed a few things here, so let me get back to some of these chats. If I've missed you, it is not intentional. I apologize in advance. I do appreciate the support. Cedric says, state of minority business programs is smoking mirrors. The programs are corrupt and not designed for the black male. I'm waiting on an answer on why did I get an email on losing after a year of sending emails. Shout out to Cedric for the support, but I hear you. Uh, Douglas, again, I uh, appreciate that. It says, I know a few brothers that work jobs at the airport for both day and night shifts, so they have an excuse to sleep on property instead of on the street. God damn it. You got brothers combating homelessness with working extended hours. Who supports that? Aliyah, shout out to you. Appreciate the support. Says, sorry to tune in a little late, but I fell asleep because I have a post-op appointment tomorrow, but I had to show up give support appreciate you doc man much appreciated good luck on your surgery bro or your post-ops of uh, uh, whatever is going on with you i hope it goes well shout out to donnie says it looks like someone in her camp just filtered out everything in her overall agenda that will benefit black men without anything specific to or for black men absolutely shout out to marvin appreciate that Chris says uh, a few years ago, the I-85 highway burned down in Atlanta because there was uh, there was homeless people, mostly black, living under the highway, trying to stay warm or cooking near construction materials. Homelessness in Atlanta is crazy. I believe it. Gym teacher, janitor or security. They only want you as intervention. Shout out to Shocks 112. Yeah, sounds like a brother who's been in the classroom. Gym teacher, janitor or security. They only want you as intervention. But when you start coming up with ideas that challenge the curricular direction that they want to go into and demand more particular attention be applied to black boys and allow black male teachers or administrators to be in a position to exact more resources and exact and, and define more direction, it's a problem. It's a problem. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to support those brothers who are willing to do it. They wait till you burn out and move on to the next. And when those kids get caught up in the pipeline, get locked up. Anyway, Otis says Stacey Abrams, black men, political agenda equals vote for me. And I think I might about including you, but probably not. So I might think about including you, but probably not. Yeah, probably not. 
nothing, nothing in here suggests change. Andre, appreciate that support. Says support the XY cause, building support, build support guide, protect for our future. Shout out to you. Yeah. Create 20,000 apprenticeships, including construction, entertainment, and advanced energy. Sounds nice. 20,000 apprenticeship, apprenticeships. Again, what percentage for black males? Restore free technical college. Sounds great. For who? Which technical colleges? Which particular areas of interest? And what guarantees do black men have that they can be, you know, part of these ventures? I'd expand access to hope and fund need-based aid for higher education, particularly at HBCUs. That's interesting because I reported over a year ago or two years ago, actually, on an article that had come out that said that black males at HBCUs were starting to become an endangered species. And you don't got to talk about just, you know, HBCUs. Population of black male stu black students in general has been cut in half since I've been at Fresno State. And the percentage of black males, ridiculously small. But here's the thing. In most colleges across the country, 70% of black males drop out their first year. It's not just the CSU system. No, that's the small percentage of, of, of black men that actually get to go to college. More than half of them drop out in their first year. You know what that says to me as a 24 year educator? No infrastructure in place to give them a sense of belonging, let alone the economic support to make sure they can afford to be there and eat. I can't tell you how many black male students I knew who were in college but couldn't afford to fucking eat. Who were trying to take remote classes from work. That's one of the things I see and I've seen through the pandemic most especially. A lot of the time when I was teaching face-to-face, -face, what I tended to see were black male students who would miss a lot of class. And when I finally pulled them over to find out why, a lot of them were working. Couldn't afford to just be in school. And we're still supporting families. And understand when I say families, I'm not talking about women with kids. I'm not talking about wives. I'm talking about mothers. I'm talking about sisters and brothers. They were, they were trying to live in a dorm sometimes, maybe even sometimes living at home, but working jobs to still pipeline money into the homes they grew up in. And many of them dropped out of school doing it. And by the time the pandemic hit, many of them would be zooming into class on their phone working. And I would require that people have their cameras on. Otherwise, I'm, I'm often sitting there talking to myself, right? So they turn cameras on. I'm seeing them stock shelves at grocery stores, working at, in garages, wherever they could. Trying to participate in class while working. So anyway. Last one, criminal justice and public safety. Focus law enforcement resources on serious violent crime. Support legislation to decriminalize marijuana and end poverty-based criminal penalties. Sounds nice. What is that? I mean, how are you going to decriminalize marijuana and end poverty-based criminal penalties? Okay. So what happens to those Black men who've already been incarcerated due to marijuana use or sales? I don't know. Maybe Georgia's different. Maybe that's not a problem Georgia has. I'm not, you know, I don't know. I can tell you nationally, as I've seen, you know, marijuana, you know, they're still trying to decide what's legal from the federal to the state, but I've not heard of any mass exodus of black males who are incarcerated around marijuana, you know, use and sales. I, I haven't seen a mass exodus of those brothers from prison retroactively releasing them 
for something that they probably shouldn't have been arrested for in the first place. I don't know. Y'all tell me. Maybe I'm wrong. 772 uh, watching. Like, share, subscribe, join, and donate. Support the channel. Help me reach 30,000 subscribers and also support the Black, I mean, the, excuse me, support the Onyx Network, which you can find um, pretty much everywhere. You can download it on your app store, on your phone. You can go to it on Amazon Fire TV, Roku. Support the Onyx Network. We can actually begin to take this conversation to another level and demand a whole different focus on what black men want. Next up, uh, repeal extreme gun laws, including criminal carry and close and close loopholes. Oh, and closed loopholes, excuse me. Okay. Repeal extreme gun laws, including criminal carry. Okay. This is one that I would defer to Douglas on. I'd like to hear his opinion. One thing is I'm about to open up uh, the chat in a second. Tell you what, I will also put this in now while I read the last of this, and I'm interested in black men who want to come up and have something to say about their thoughts on this. Right? Restore diversion programs and reentry programs to support housing, health care, and employment. Okay, how will we know again that you're targeting this to black men? Right? Restore diversion programs and reentry programs. Okay, so if they need to be restored, that suggests that they apart how why what are you going to do to restore them how many dollars are you putting into that how many people are you going to hire to do it which people are you going to hire to do it what percentage of those people will be black males this is kind of the political hardball we have to start playing oh my boy keep it 100 y'all support the keep it 100 channel my boy marcus in the house what's good with you fam man when you said college students can't afford to eat man you reached me man you 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 reached inside my soul, man. I'm no sitting in that cafeteria, man, looking at white boys eat pizza, wishing I could have some pizza too, man. No way. <laughs> I ain't even trying to hear you, man. Black Uru, if you don't come up in here, man. Uh so we got Dion and we got Douglas in the house. How y'all brothers doing? Doing all right, Doc. All right. Um, now I'm going to read just the last couple of these and then we can just open it up for discussion. Um, so let me see here. Uh, so hold law enforcement accountable. Uh oh, Douglas, come back through, man. Um, says require accountability for law enforcement and correctional officers. Accountability. Rather vague. What does accountability mean? And again, what does that mean toward black men who are mistreated by law enforcement? Curious. Track officers with records of bad behavior and prevent them from getting new jobs. Okay. Okay, good. Douglas came back through. Douglas, you there? Douglas, can you hear me? Uh-oh. Having some sound issues. Uh, let me see. I hope he can correct it. I want to get his opinion on this. Um, last one. Create state guidelines that address use of force, de-escalation, and crisis intervention. It's a lot of word salad. A lot of this sounds real nice, you know, on, on one level. I just wish it actually applied to us. But Marcus, starting with you, man, tell us what you think about this. Uh, it's funny. I was on Bernard earlier. Uh, shout out Bernard Riley. Um, we had a similar conversation. Uh, you know, about politics. 
again, I'm of the belief that if you don't speak to me directly, I don't stand in line to vote for you. Uh oh. Straight Uh-oh. up. I don't I don't care what party, Green Party, Purple Party, you know, uh Saturn, Uranus party, I don't care. Whatever party you're pushing. And, you know, I know that there's like this this great migration happening with black men where like, you know, we're moving to the right. And I'm not mad at that. What I'm saying is I don't see them offering anything direct either. And, you know, I think it comes from a historic kind of like, you know, fed upness with the Democratic Party and the liberals. And I get it. But mm-hmm. nobody's speaking directly to us and telling us this is for you in particular, like they do with everybody else. Right. Right. Absolutely. Let me get, uh, hold on. Let me see if I can add some names to this. Okay. Uh, Okay. So shout out to Donnie says, how about abolish the the Duluth model? It's use and application in the state of Georgia. Shit, nationally. Yes, absolutely. Nationally. And if you don't know why, you need to be reading Tommy Curry's The Man Not um, and directly get to the section dealing with the Duluth model. Read the whole book, but definitely deal with the area that dealing with the Duluth model and you'll see how problematic that's been. Um, man, we keep losing people. What's up with the connection tonight? Um, hey, Doc, I got my audio together finally. There we go. <laughs> All right. That's what I want to hear. Um, Distinguished Legacy asked the question, could you speak to the idea that black men refuse to vote for her because she's a black woman? It's a shame that we even have to have this conversation. That's the accusation that black men are not going to vote for her just because she's a black woman. Hey, hey Doc, I, I'll speak to that from so I so I live in Georgia, so in in, in, in Atlanta specifically. Get it. And not just, you know, I have my, my organization that I'm a part of, but I spend a lot of time with other brothers that are involved with other political organizations on other political issues. Mm-hmm. So all them that I've spoken to that you know, to a man, I have yet to hear a single one of them that have said that they don't support Stacey Abrams to say it's because of, you know, she's a woman. It's always some type of specific and very well thought out policy issue uh, stance that they have a problem with. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I can also tell you, so there's, you know, she's had these sit downs where, you know, she's talking to black men and trying to get, you know, get some feedback, at least the one that I've been to. Mm-hmm. It was it, it seemed very, very scripted because so I, I was invited out there by another brother um, that, I'm, that I'm good friends with uh, him and I. We always have these big political back and forth. So he mm-hmm. has some different stances. I have some different. But we we have good faith arguments on the on the points. Right. And so he invited me out to this because, um, you know, he, you know, reads different posts. That I put up, you know, I post a lot, you know, that, that you put up, that BGS puts up, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about those ideas. So he's kind of, you know, come around to, you know, hey, maybe there needs to be something specifically targeting black men as far as policy. So he invited me out to one of these things. So he's like, hey, I know you're real versed in it. You know, you can actually ask one of these questions because, you know, if she wants to, you know, really get black men's votes and get their attention. OK, she has a chance. You have a chance to talk to her and she has a chance to go on record to say, you know, how it is that she is feeling. Well, I go out there. She comes and speaks. She spent probably about 30, 45 minutes there. Yep. It comes my turn to, to ask a question. Yep. Conveniently, I get cut off by two other brothers that get their questions asked first. You know, mm-hmm. I literally hit the mic in my hand and hit the mic taken away to give to another brother. Right. 
Uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get back to you. But they never got back to me. And my homeboy comes up to me afterward. And he was like, I don't understand. He's like, that was that was really crazy. Like, you know, he was he was actually upset about that because, you know, he has specifically invited me out there because like he's really, you know, he really cares about the community and is trying to like get all parties together to talk about change and making things happen. So like he really took that as a as an affront. And I was like, I really kind of wasn't surprised mm-hmm. um, about how it happened. Cause like, I can't imagine that they would, even if I got to ask a question that I would necessarily get a legitimate answer on it. But you know, the fact that I, I didn't even get to ask any type of question, right. you know, concerning specifics of, of black men and the, in the point I was going to ask, I was going to ask specifically about uh, shelters for homeless black men and black men that have suffered from intimate partner violence. Um, That's right. that, doesn't really exist in the city of Atlanta, uh, let alone in the state of Georgia. So I wanted to know if you had a particular policy surrounding that. And, you know, especially given in this group that um, she had come to, we have had talks about um, black men that have suffered from intimate partner violence, that have suffered from homelessness, because the group is just centered around talking about black men's issues. Mm-hmm. So for that not to be able to, you know, I just kind of felt that was funny. Nobody else asked anything similar either. It was all kind of very topical, you yeah. know, what are policies that will benefit sort of all black people, nothing specific for black men? You know, it kind of makes you wonder, and I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if this was happening, if, you know, the people that got to speak, that was predetermined. Matter of fact, it might've been people in her camp, you know what I mean? Just to make sure she's not publicly embarrassed or forced to answer questions she doesn't have answers to. This is far be, you know, this is far within the realm of what, you know, uh, political figures do. You know, especially to a demographic that they've not actually talked to it with any depth before. You know what I mean? So it wouldn't surprise me if, if the reason you weren't allowed to ask is that it was preordained. But I particularly wanted I want you to tell people what your organization is. And I, I hope that you would speak to some of the gun law ideas here, most particularly in relation to this point too. Uh, I'll highlight right there, extreme gun laws, criminal carry, closed, uh, closed loopholes. Um, tell people who you are as far as organizationally and what, you know, your organization or yourself has to say about some of these ideas here. Sure. So uh, my organization is the National African-American Gun Association. I'm actually the senior vice president of the organization. Uh, I've been involved with this since 2016 and uh, the organization was founded in 2015. So we're 40,000 members nationwide, over 120 chapters across the country. There it is. Uh, So to these specific laws where she talks about, let's see, it says, you know, getting rid of repeal extreme gun laws, including criminal carrying and closed loopholes. All right. So let's let's clear the air first. Criminal carry, what she's referring to is actually concealed carry. Criminal carry is a derogatory term for it. All excuse me, not concealed carry, but constitutional carry. Mm-hmm. All constitutional carry is it just states that uh, because the Second Amendment exists and it's ratified into the state constitution, as long as you are not prohibited on a federal level from owning a firearm. So that means that you're not a felon and that means that you haven't been adjudicated uh, mentally deficient in a court of law. Uh, as long as you meet those criteria that those, those two criteria don't apply to you, mm-hmm. then you are able to carry a firearm on your person, open or concealed without doing anything extra. So you don't need to get a license. Um, you don't have to pay any fees, et cetera. Uh, so that's what she is referring to as criminal carry. The misnomer is saying, the, is saying that anyone can carry a farm in Georgia. That's not true. If you are a felon and if you are have been adjudicated mentally deficient in a court of law, no, you are not allowed to carry a firearm. That was the same 
before concealed carry, excuse me, before constitutional carry passed. That's the same after constitutional carry passed. So that's just a misrepresentation of what the law actually is. As to the quote unquote loopholes, what they're referring to is so once you buy a firearm from a legitimate gun store, so you go to the gun shop, you do your background check, you pay your money, you've bought the firearm. Once you had that firearm, you could sell that firearm to a friend or family member or to a stranger if you like. You'd also buy a firearm from a friend, a family member, or a stranger. And you don't there's no background check required. The reason being is because once that firearm you've bought it from a actual gun shop is considered just another piece of property like anything else. Mm. It's like if you bought a pair of shoes or you bought a book or you bought a car and you say you just wanted to sell that to somebody. You don't have to go through background checks or perform them on people. Now, if you talk to most gun owners, they're not going to sell guns to people. Uh, those that are trying to be good citizens, they're not selling guns to people that they think are criminally minded or have some type of felony record. Okay. So, um, you know, if, if someone wanted to do that, even if you made it illegal, even if you said, hey, there has to be a you have to have a background check to do that, to sell peer to peer. There's still no enforcement method to stop the actual sale from happening. The enforcement comes on the back end. So mm. if it's found out that that gun was sold, which probably wouldn't be found out unless that gun is used in a crime. OK, it's already illegal to sell firearms, regardless of whether it's a gun shop or you're just a regular person to a felon, to someone that is mentally uh, has been declared mentally deficient. That's already illegal. Mm. And the history of firearms law and gun control is used disproportionately against black people, particularly black men, and used to disarm black people and black men and make them vulnerable, not just to the criminal element that exists within the black community like it exists in any community, Mm -hmm. but to racist white supremacists who would like to enact harm against black people, particularly black men, just because of the fact that they exist. Right. So as an organization, NAGA stands against that type of gun control legislation it stands against anything that is going to stop African-American people from exercising their second amendment rights to protect themselves and their families and to use the second amendment, um, not just, you know, to stand in the gap where, you know, no matter how benevolent the state is, they just can't be there because, you know, we don't have a police officer or bodyguard that just follows us around waiting for trouble to jump off. Right. But we defend the second amendment rights for African-Americans so that we can use them in the more historical sense that we have always had to use them where the state would not protect us because of incompetence, because of moral, moral cowardice, or because of just outright malice towards African-American people. You know, that's the history and the present. So that's why we stand for making sure that black people are able to access these rights. And I look at that. That was the first thing that kind of jumped out to me on that legislation because she's, really really pushed hard on that i've reached out to her through my organization i've reached out to her individually Mm -hmm. to her team and just never hear anything back about that um and i think it's no coincidence that that's supported because uh if you look at you know some of her campaign funding she has gotten considerable funding from uh mr bloomberg who is very very much a anti-gun gun gun control he's an anti-gun person and he supports gun control so okay Okay, appreciate that. So y'all know why I like to have the brothers that I have up because uh, they pull no punches and the information is on point. So 
So check this out real quick, and I'm going to move on to Dion. I want to get uh, you know you guys' input on this. Uh, so this is a CNN article, September 20th, 2022. So it just came out today. Drug overdose death rates highest among American Indian people. Now peep the language. American Indian people and middle-aged black men. I see that. <laughs> I see what they did there. <laughs> Talk to it. People as in men and women and then middle-aged black men. It's like, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not true at all. <laughs> yeah, but it's the wording that's it's the wording for me, man. It's the wording, you know what I mean? Okay, y'all speak to it. Let me hear your thoughts. We're talking about a black male agenda initiated by, uh, you know, Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor of Georgia. And yet, has anybody addressed this? So what drugs are they talking about? Which drugs? It says drug overdose death rates. Which drugs? I, I like to correct you, doctor. Um, okay. They, Stacey Abrams is trying to get elected for the position of governor. I sincerely and how can I say this in the most serious voice? Okay. I seriously doubt she's running for anything except the bathroom. That's it. Oh, okay. All right. I'm, 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 I look at this and I call it being disingenuous. Because a lot of things that have you ever noticed that, for example, I was looking at a a video about how black women are looked at as being older. Black girls are looked at as being older compared to other white girls and white boys. And I'm and I'm just I made a comment inside an Instagram video. Why don't you ever compare black girls to black boys? No, I didn't want to do that. And I gotta do that because they're gonna see stark differences. Like right here. When you look at drug abuse, mm-hmm. when it comes to women, they don't talk about how women are on drugs, especially antidepressants, more than black women because they take on so much stress. Because you know that black power fist, I don't need no man, but I'm going to take on all that manly stress. You don't want to know, like, how many calls I got for CDS. Majority of time, it was for women. Mm. Wow. Majority of the people you see strung out are women. Mm-hmm. For every three, three women I see, I probably get one man. Wow. So I disagree with this. There's a reason why they put women out there. Because look at the stress that goes on with our women. For believing in... I See, people don't understand. That ideology of feminism, black women drink that like Slurpees and don't realize why they're getting a headache from it. Let me, let me read this uh, for those who are listening uh, in uh, via radio or aren't able to look at their screens. So in relation to this article addressing Marcus's question in 2021, well, actually, I want to read the paragraph before as well. For those ages 35 to 64, American Indian and Alaska Native people had the highest rate of overdose deaths in 2018. But by 2021, rates among black men had surpassed those of American Indian men. In 2021, overdose death rates among black men ages 35 to 64 were higher than any other demographic group. 
deaths involving fentanyl nearly tripled for this group between 2018 and 2021. And once again, doctor, who is the highest demographic when it comes to fentanyl abuse and death? Tell me. White people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even in a city of Baltimore, <laughs> which is 70% black, yeah, majority of our fentanyl cases were white people from the county that came either working or just chilling in the city, and they would just nod off while they're making a pizza. I'm not joking about that. That actually happened. Yeah, this this would be the first article I'm seeing where that I mean, whether it be black men or just black people in general, a place at the top of drug overdoses. Period. Because you know, I've been in small white towns with mostly white people i've you know i'm in nevada um it's just like he says like they have a a what they call an epidemic happening mm -hmm. you know a crisis happening i you know it's not this this ain't the 80s yeah and yet what they say here for this study federal researchers analyze data from the u.s centers for disease control and prevention national vital statistics system they compared semi-annual drug overdose deaths between the months of March to August for 2018 and 20, uh, 20 and 2021. So you know what they just said? What's up? They didn't do a full a full study, just a month-to-month -month study. For example, in law enforcement, you can analyze in Baltimore, the, the most violent day is Thursday for some reason. Right. Just from looking at the totality of the whole year and seeing how much crime, both violent and otherwise. Okay. So you're just taking, let's say, compared to, let's compare those days from 2018, 2020, and 2021. That's the equivalent of saying, well, my students passed they're you know they're this course the most during august you didn't say anything about the other 11 well, months but here's the thing though we're, we're talking about death rates right overdose death rates so you might you, you more than likely have more whites dying of fentanyl overdose but right. in terms of rate Right. We're talking about so more black men. black men. Yeah. Well, you got to understand hold something. On, wait, wait, you hold, have on, hold on, hold on, wait. But they're not saying, and this is the this is the point I really want to emphasize. They're not saying black people, right? So there's something specific going on to black men that I want to highlight. Well, go ahead, yeah. finish, finish your thought. And, 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 and you notice when they put up these drugs, notice the fentanyl. Black people rarely ever touch it so guess what because you're a smaller population notice they put native americans and black men two of the smallest populations of people in the country yes because one you have such a small demographic that any percentage if three of us hit fentanyl right now that's oh my god we got a we got an epidemic but see, this is the, 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 the issue that I'm having right now is we're talking about fentanyl and all of this and all that, but I've yet to see uh, a drug specified. I mean, unless you're going to show me what drug they're talking about. They're saying drug overdoses. I mean, for all we know, 
They could be talking about aspirin. They could be talking about anything, right? They could be talking about, you know, whatever. Here's here's my point, though. Even if if the highest rates of, of those who are dying to aspirin are black men, my question is, when we start talking about an agenda, if that is what the data has been showing us, and I've seen reports like these for the last couple of years, what exactly are we putting forth politically to deal with it, even if we're talking about studying it in more depth? And that's exactly that's exactly why I wanted to try to say something about yes. this. I'll put a link in the chat uh, you for you guys' convenience uh, whenever you want to take a look at this. I harpoon on this point voraciously that among all demographics in America, Black men are dying at a rate that's higher and more aggressive than people in countries that are at war right now. And I mean, just in total, when you take all modalities of death that can be measured as a metric. Right. When you control specifically for Black men, we overcrowd the modality of death. I don't care what metric you take a look at. I don't care how you twist it and turn it. But the narrative states that women are far more under attack. But when you draw it side by side, even though black women on certain areas may lead other demographics of women, black women are actually dying at a much lower rate than we are. And not even just a little bit, but dramatically so. Right. And so what we're dealing with is a matter of narrative, which gets flipped into policy later on. And since mm-hmm. everybody can have us disappear in what is described as that flack blackness that you and Dr. Tommy Curry speak about very often, This is an exact reason why we need to identify ourselves as a specific political entity and demographic, starting from the way we were dealt with and the way we handled our politics during Reconstruction, because that's exactly where the Civil Rights Bill was originally started at. And Mm -hmm. I know I'm digressing. I don't want to speak over too many people, but that's precisely why I wanted to come up and speak a little bit about this and this placation that's taking place with Stacey Abrams. And the mm. narrative that's being used as a form of corrective action that's reminding people of plantation granny nanny, you know, get your behind back on on in this house type rhetoric that's taking place, followed mm. by a very sharp notice from the Republican side of mm. this six percent and rising group of black men that are disobeying our traditional trend. But in reality, we're just going back to pre 1960 uh, voting patterns. But simultaneously, the Republican side is also losing a little bit of weight from the libertarian side. And they're concerned that they may be a little bit weaker towards the Democrats. So what I'm saying is mm-hmm. when you're dealing with force, the way you would uh, address greater powers is with timing. And for right now, just like Malcolm X said in his speech, ballot or bullet, black men are demonstrating themselves to be the deciding factor on these tiebreakers. And that's mm-hmm. precisely how we need to be posturing ourselves right. when we talk about this 14-point agenda. Right. Right. And Dr. I'm can loving you, it. I'm loving it. Can you go back to that uh to that police and public safety reform? Oh, okay. But I want you to be brief on this because I want to get some of the people in here who haven't talked yet. So but go ahead, make your point. Oh, hello. Charles? Uh-oh. Can you hear me? There Can you hear me? Go ahead. Number one. And I'm going to make this quick. How long have I been speaking on hiring black police officers and nowhere do you see it? Okay. Nowhere do you see the hiring? Oh, okay. 
Nowhere do you see the promotion of black officers to sergeant, lieutenant, captain, major. Mm -hmm. Nowhere do you see, and one of the biggest issues with law enforcement is a lack of what? A lack of actually integrating blacks into this field. Okay. Okay. So one of the, one of the flaws uh, in the proposed agenda, not including black men, uh, I want to get Dion and then uh, Deroy's uh, worst. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Dion, give us some contribution on this. Um, so my contribution is this. So um, I grew up in, in Georgia, so I went to college on the Hope Scholarship. Mm. But but one of the things about the Hope Scholarship where it falls short is it takes care of your tuition and it gives you a certain voucher for books. But if you can't pay for room and board or to eat, then for a student like myself, I had to have a job and work on campus as well just to right. you know struggle through it to make it. And so there are a lot of programs out there that help, but they don't really give black men what they need to mm -hmm. fully be, you know, full students and to really get a full experience of college. Right. That was one thing. And then another thing, when I, mean, I see that Black Guru came up, is I was gonna agree with Black Guru that we should not vote for Stacey Abrams just as a just to show them that we are paying attention and that we see you and the way in which we do it should be very strategic so that they know that we didn't vote for her on purpose. Okay. Um, and then there was another thing in there about farming. Um, and one of my issues that I always have with the issue of farming is this. Black people have in this country have been disenfranchised from farming for generations at this point, right? Okay. And when they pass these, when they when they give out these policy prescriptions, it never addresses the fact that a lot of black farmers need to be restored yeah. just to the base level in right. order to even be competitive in any market that they find themselves in. And so if you have a lot of black farmers out here who, like, for example, in my family, we have land in South Carolina and Georgia, mm -hmm. but you can't be a full farmer if you don't have equipment. Uh oh, You can't be a full farmer if you don't have the fencing and you don't and you can't afford the feed and you can't afford to really be competitive in a market that you've been locked out of for damn near 100 years. There it so, is. so just telling me that oh, we need more black farmers and we're going to earmark, you know, all this stuff for black farmers. But the problem is we're operating these black farms a hundred years behind. Mm. And so I don't just need to be, I don't need just this new money that you're giving me. I need to be restored first, actually earmarked into markets in order for me to even be, even begin to start farming for real before I can even be competitive. And so that's my issue when I hear all this stuff about farming because my grandfather had a farm and he had, you know, you know, hogs and chickens and cows and all that stuff, but he was never really competitive. He just did it as a family thing because, right. you know, his 50, his 50 cows couldn't compete with the thousands and thousands of cows that other people in town had. Right. So, so for me, it's like, you know, I hear this stuff, but then when I look at the poly policy prescriptions, they never really address the historic, you know, failures mm. of the federal government in these programs and how they have been predatory against black men. Right. But then even in the policy policy prescriptions, they don't address that predatory nature 
to get us back to being restored fully as full farmers and not just, oh, we gave you some money, now shut up. Right. And I can tell you here in Fresno, uh, there used to be a legacy of black farming. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a chance to, I did a, a lecture on this on my other channel uh, some years ago, and you find that they were strategically pushed out. And this is a, yeah. something I would argue more than likely happened nationally. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I asked the question, if you're going to address farming, are you going to tell us what specifically happened, most particularly to black male farmers and what you can do to repair that that's specific to those black male farmers? Well, uh, if, well, if you're talking about in the state of South Carolina, like, for example, where I know a lot about farming, right? A lot of black farmers lost their land because, you know, sometimes it was just white people decided they wanted their land back. Mm. Um, a lot of times they did it through, you know, local politics where they would say we're running the easement through your farm and they would run a they would run like a power line straight through the center of your farm and make the entire middle of a 50 acre farm unusable. Wow. Um, and so, you know, there are there are many of strategic ways in which they have used a local government. They have used just saying we can't find your deed, for example, like the um the guy that used to farm next door to my grandfather, Mr. Coleman, he lost his land because they said that he never filed, he had never officially filed the deed for his land, right? Mm-hmm. And because they couldn't find the deed with the county, he just lost his land. He wow. lost like he lost 75 acres of land that was passed down to him from his father. And Mr. Coleman is he still doesn't have that land. His his he couldn't pass it down to his son. Mm-hmm. And you know, his grandson who's my age, they they know that. <laughs> The land that they farm on in, in the local town I'm from is his grandfather's, but they, they can do nothing to get it back. And right. so these are the things that I'm saying needs to be addressed. If you're going to address farming, um, especially at a time when, you know, hemp and, and marijuana is something like in the state of South Carolina that they're legalizing and studying mm-hmm. to farm. Mm-hmm. So you have so many black men who are in prison right. <laughs> for the very same things. And now we and now that you can participate in it legally. Mm-hmm. We can't get any of those set aside um, right. grants through Clemson and the University of um, South Carolina, um, Greenville. And we can't get any of those specialized grants that are set aside yeah. for that type of farming because one, we don't have the facilities and two, we don't have enough land where they claim we don't have enough land in order to run those type of farms on. So, which, which, which prevents you from getting a foothold in a developing industry. Absolutely. Where you be able to, to to stake an area, a space mm-hmm. out for other black folk and build from there. Absolutely. Right? And like like for example, in the state of in the state of South Carolina, I know there's a lot of, of guys who used to farm soy or corn. And what they're doing is they're tilling their entire corn. Um, they're tilling thousands of acres of corn under so they can plant hemp because hemp is going to be far more profitable long term right. than corn and soy. Right. And so where you have a farmer who has a thousand acres of land and they'll earmark 500 acres just to grow hemp on and get those set aside from the Clemson grants and the South Carolina state grants and all of these different grants that mm-hmm. we can qualify for. Right. Um, and so, you know, those are things like for me where when I look at these policy prescriptions, it doesn't take into account historic narratives, nor does it account to restore us right. and, and make us competitive on purpose. Um, no, so there's no real purpose in these in these things. And so for me, I'm with Black Uru. We should vote against her j- strategically just to let them know we see you and we don't stand for this this crap no. anymore. 
and I appreciate that. We're gonna get to Black Uru because I want I want to see the hammer drop directly. <laughs> but I want to get to Delroy's worst in here. I want to get his statement, and then we're gonna get to Uru so that everybody gets a chance to, to weigh in on this. Uh, Delroy's worst. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, sir. All right, go ahead and drop something on this. What are we talking about? Okay, well, I, I got a couple of things. Uh, the, the first thing I just want want you guys to peep out. The picture that we looking at on the screen for Stacey Abrams' Black Men's Agenda. Mm -hmm. If you pay, if you pay attention, she's sitting there, you know, got her makeup on, she's smiling, everything. Look at the picture of the brother, <laughs> hat down, hat down in a menacing way, veins all in his neck. He almost looked like he cussing eye. All right. Just want, just want to, just, just. I just want to know if it's if I wasn't the only one that peeped that. No, Second thing is peep that visual. Second thing is, and I'm just going to speak real plainly here because I'm not, you know, as, as eloquent of a speaker as most of you guys on here. What you actually seeing now is white folks looking at it like, oh, hell no. These brothers actually demanding you level the playing field. Mm -hmm. and, when it, and when it comes down to it, if you level the playing field just a little bit, it's a wrap for them because we we are the competition our women ain't the competition we are the competition we are the competition and they and they know this so what you're seeing now is if you want to call it the, the cracks in their armor or whatever okay and that's all i gotta say man and, and I, i'm i'm loving it i mean me personally i'm i'm loving whether whether it's whether it's Brothers going off, you know, brothers, you know, saying not voting, whatever. I love it. My thing is I've always been, hey, we may have to let it all burn down around us and just sit down and watch because we didn't do none of this. We ain't got no part of this. Well, I'm going to tell you this. This this is what I want to see. I want to see and, and see. I don't mind whatever sparked this shit. I don't care if it was relationships. I don't care if it was Stacey Abrams, whatever is waking black men up. To these realities, I'm all for black men's response to it. I want to see when we start getting to some of the other, uh, you know, elections, we start getting other candidates, especially on the presidential level. I want black men to carry this same smoke for whoever the hell is running and, and wants our votes. This is the energy we need to have for anybody that wants our votes. Right. So whatever Stacey's getting, she don't need to be the last one to get it. But if you want black male votes, you got to deal with black men's uh, black males, particular political interests. Uh, Uru, come on, man. Come in here and drop this hammer on us. Come on. What's up? <laughs> hey, Doc. How you doing? Thanks I'm for good, having man. me. It's always <laughs> good to hear you in here. What's up? Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, as always, I appreciate spending time with you and the August uh, gentleman on your panel here. Um, well, as I said in the super chat and as the brother prior to me uh, reiterated, I, I think all the <clears throat> the play here is to, you know, I'm going to say it, the play is for black men to be an active and willful part of sabotaging uh, Stacey Abrams' election. Okay. Uh, the play here is to, for her to lose, for men, for black men to be a very vocal and very uh, visible uh, uh blame for her losing and carry the force of that into future dealings with the Democratic Party as a whole in, in Georgia, but throughout the country. 
There's a lot of attention on this particular election. There's a lot going into this election. There's obviously there's the woman thing. There's the black thing. There's the gynocracy thing. And Mm -hmm. and you best believe if she becomes governor of uh, Georgia, one of the great southern states of Georgia, there's a whole lot of implication and ripples that are that are going to come from that. There are going to be some things happen by by the force of her becoming governor of of Georgia, this black woman becoming governor of Georgia, this unmarried black woman of of Georgia, um, that's going to have implications far beyond just that particular office and that particular part of the country. So I I think we we have to look at this much broader and much more strategically than just the the great state of Georgia. I, I think this is very much a a moment of progression, a potential great political progression for right. black men. Uh, it's a great opportunity. And, and I hope that the brothers in Georgia sees it. Um, you know, because look, they're, they're, if, if you support her, you're supporting the status quo. You're mm-hmm. supporting all the gynocratic programming and, and, and thought processes and mm-hmm. politicking and assignment of, of favorite positions and you're going to see all kinds of, you know, black girl magic spreading throughout Georgia, fellas. You know, um, do you really want to be a part of that? Do you really want to be on the subordinate ass end of all of that? You got to really think about that. You know, uh, you know, black women have made it pretty plain and clear. They they're ready to style on your ass when they get a chance to do so. You know, <laughs> very kind of public about it at this point. So, I, like I say, the play here is is for her to lose, for black men to get the blame for it, and then the black men to carry the torch of that uh, to the Democratic Party and, and send a signal to the entire political establishment, national the, uh, political establishment nationally that, oh, shit, these guys are really alive and they're really a factor in things now. See, I think it needs to be a two part strategy with any candidate. If they lose because they don't get black votes, uh, we're doing exactly what you're pointing out. But if they win with black male votes, it got it it damn well better be because we laid out very particular policies in in an almost contractual relationship where our votes are only, you know, secured based on our interests. So, for example, if we actually shored up this agenda in very specific ways and made sure black men had concrete resources i don't i wouldn't have a problem if she won because at the end of the day whether she's going to flex or not we need to get our you know our check if you will but if there's no arrangement on the table that's that's anything substantive i don't give a damn if she wins or loses and i mean that it's it's not just this isn't personal to her this is in general i'm saying we need to be so strategic that you know the only people that get our votes and win need to be those that have an ironclad contract with what they're going to provide and if they don't follow through on what we've agreed to, they don't get our votes after that. But, you know, I agree with you. I think, you know, if she actually is able to secure governorship with this black men's agenda that that is nebulous at best, what we're going to end up with is more of nothing. There'll be a lot of black, ma- black, feet, black, you know, girl magic. There'll be a lot of, you know, black women, you know, flag waving. Black men will end up, leave, you know, she'll leave office and we'll have exactly what we have now. And we need to send a message to the political establishment that black men are no longer going to tolerate just being taken for granted. 
So question. Hit it. Let's say she says, hey, black man, I'm going to give you this and you're going to have that. And I'm going to give you this and this and that, too. And mm-hmm. then we say, OK, Stacy, and we go vote for her. And then she don't give us none of those things that she what said she was going to give us. Mm-hmm. Which is a potential reality with any political candidate. You're, you're absolutely Absol- right. Go absolutely. This this see. One of the things is, you know, especially with us is there's really no way to enforce that, right? Um, there's, I guess for them, there's no threat of I'll lose this base. Uh, earlier, I forgot who said it. Uh, they was talking about, you know, intimate partner violence, you know, that sort of thing, you know, or, or something in there. Uh, you know, for black men regarding intimate partner violence, understand that anything that they write into uh, promises, you know, and I'm talking about politicians, if they were to directly promise black men something, they're going to offend somebody in the process. Sure. Sure. Anything that they offer us, I don't, I don't care what it is. Right. They're going to make somebody mad. Mm-hmm. Somebody will be mad if it's intimate partner violence. They they're gonna offend black women, right? There's a bunch of things that they'll throw at black men that offend black w- women, or white men, or whoever. This whoever. this is this is why I think what Black Guru said a second ago and what we've been pushing for works 125. percent I need people yep. to take a little time and look at how much this is actually being talked about across the country. Specifically, no one's talking about any other demographic as it pertains to the Stacey Abrams scenario, but they're mm-hmm. speaking about black men for the first time. This is a, a golden going, opportunity. I'm telling golden you, opportunity. You need to leave her alone right now, let her lose, and I promise you, all the people that are organizing the campaigns, all the people that are in the Republican Party that are in swing states and purple states, they are not going to be blind by that. They mm-hmm. are very pressed at the moment because the Libertarian Party is beginning to absorb a lot of the more radical, I'm going to say traditional usual suspects that are adjacent and, and opposed to our goals in general as it pertains to civil rights issues. And they're looking for something that they can use to maintain leverage and a stop loss. And mm-hmm. black men is the one voting demographic that they actually have an opportunity to push forward towards because as of this moment, they have nothing to lose by adopting black men. And they're mm-hmm. the only party that can say that. Now, Nameless, uh, shout out to name to Nameless. Uh, I'm glad you came up here tonight, man. I, 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 I rarely get a chance to hear from you. So I appreciate you coming through. Uh, I want you and anybody else who might be interested to address the question on the screen and, uh, and you also sent me an article uh, that's behind a paywall. Is it the same one that I put up earlier from the Baltimore Sun? They got a paywall behind that? My fault. I gave you another one from the New York Times. It was speaking about uh, what I just talked about. You know, they, they call it Democrats, black male voter problem. Yeah, that's and, the, uh, okay. Yeah, they're uh, digging into that. I'm and they're using, the Stace, yeah, they're using the Stacey Abrams situation as an illustration of that. But there's countless, yeah. countless articles on this right now. Yeah, so it's this one here. Yeah. Well, I mean, my my question, you know, first of all, you'd have to look at the records of all those appointees, because, I mean, to just pick somebody because of demographic reasons without any real record of doing anything and and making changes for black men, 
I, I don't really care what race or, or gender or, or, or creed or whatever that person right, happens right. to be if they don't have an actual record of, of helping black men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think we, we played the appoint me, appointment or appointee game, you know, with Obama and, mm. and with various other mm. situations and, and mm. we haven't been all that impressed. So mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't really think that's the, that's, that's the strategic ad for, for black men, frankly. Okay. I strongly the, the believe. Did you yeah. did you guys see in in um Charles Blow's um article? You noticed they called us a problem, <laughs> right? And, and and what I say and what I say to that is, if if we are a problem, let's be the biggest problem. I'm talking about let's be a sand dispersion oh, yeah. in these people's shoot. <laughs> we be we loud and clear yeah. and take full credit for being a problem. Right. We I said. Like my daddy, my, my daddy said something to me the other day because my father, he lives in Georgia. And right now, he's, he was telling me that him and his wife are bumping heads because he done made it clear. He ain't finna vote for that big heifer. He said that just like that. <laughs> so now what I, what he said to me was, he said, <laughs> right, now, right now is the time for black men to give everybody they ass to kiss and then they go turn around and be kissing our ass. Look, we said earlier we need to just go ahead and join Team Muhaha, since you know everybody <laughs> thinks we're monsters. Just go wow. ahead, be that kaiju, kick the building over because we built it anyway. Like at this yep. point, black men really need to be practicing political Mandalorianism. You mm. know, like whether we work for the Republic or the Empire, cut the dough and we'll do the job. Mm -hmm. Right. Because at this mm -hmm. point. We have been made utterly invisible after right. Title Seven, after right. Title Nine, after right. all of these other provisions under the damn sun. You're gonna have individuals coming in from other countries that get precedence over over us. Absolutely. So until, unless, and until we continue to lean on that, and now the language is in place for the black male vote. No mm -hmm. one's talking about the black male vote until this moment here, and it's mm -hmm. because they were so close to their victory, and they got a glimpse of that with Trump. They got a glimpse mm -hmm. of it yeah. when they when they wanted to initially say, oh, well, it's because you don't like women. But then mm -hmm. you look at the way we were voting <laughs> back with Obama. And the only reason why we voted for Obama is because he was a black man. But then you look at the second election and all of that started dialing back ever since, even right. though a black man was still present there. So they need to understand that this country has gotten comfortable with us essentially being written off as, again, that flat blackness. Right. And we've been doing so under the ice cube assumption of mm -hmm. aren't we black people? Right. And they made it clear on that Fox Soul gynocratic meeting where they stated, no, we're different. Yes. And that's when that schism was made wide open for everybody to see. And that's what we need to go ahead and capitalize on. Because and we got no to benefit... rub their noses in it. That right. Was... You, you don't get any benefit without having the ability to reward and punish. And this is our opportunity to address what they desire and care for, which is that last little bit. Well, see, what you're saying is, you know, that period is what I refer to as the black masculine term, where, where we're actually seeing that you know, black men are starting to realize that they're alone and they're not being supported by anybody. And as, instead of just becoming despondent, we're actually interested in using and flexing the leverage we do have. In our own interest, and I'm glad to see that turn, right? And so you guys are, you and they, uh, and and brother Uru are really saying that we can make the election with her another turn, where black men can actually realize the political uh, power they do have, power we've been told we never had, 
and that we just need to vote in the interest of mainly black women and follow, right? But we're finding out that if we're our own distinct demographic, then let's use that. I mean, I would I would go as far as to say that 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 happened. With, I mean, maybe somebody else said it, but that happened with the Hillary versus Trump situation. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, that's yeah. what he said. Uh, mm-hmm. But and and I want to make well, let me make this point or uh, suggestion rather. Mm-hmm. When you get time, re-listen to Malcolm X's ballot or bullet speech, mm-hmm. please, because mm-hmm. everything he said then is actually taking place here. And we need to remember what was happening when he did that speech. Mm-hmm. We were in the middle of being usurped by the Sojourner Truthism in that camp without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. And if, the, if the civil rights individuals understood what the gynocracy was, that mm-hmm. speech would have been much more targeted rather than an assumed direction towards black men because we know we're the disproportionate recipients of all negative violence and demonstrations of power. It would have been an overt call to action, and this is how we do that. Yeah, we gotta. We have to stop treating voting as you know a religious uh, practice and use it actually as a legitimate tool of empowerment for ourselves. Right. You know, we have to. We have to eat, sleep, and breathe the mantra: voting is an exchange, not a gift. Far right. too long, we've just given away our vote um, for a variety of reasons. And we are at the point now that if we don't start getting return on investment, you know, we can very well as a demographic cease to exist. And I'm I'm not being, you know, hyperbolic in this. And it doesn't have to be some type of, you know, mass attack or, you know, some people coming to shoot or kill or anything like that. It can just be the very slow, continual degradation and erosion of the black male demographic, which we've seen for centuries you know basically since we got on these shores mm-hmm. and think- we're at a precipice if we don't act now if we don't start acting like that is an actual reality an actual thing that can happen and that mm-hmm. we're on the path to that happening then you know we're people will be reading about us in the history books and asking you know what happened to to black men what happened to adolf's black men in the u.s i i actually feel like one of the biggest reasons the majority of black men vote democratic is for the support and benefit of black women. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm gonna continue to say that black men, you know, with, with the with the with the SIM chip activated, cannot stand to see black women under duress, stress, or you know, any in, in, in any type of uh you know bad way. Right. Mama. You know, the thing about it is, it's interesting. It's an interesting contradiction because feminists, black feminists in particular, have argued that black men have only worked in their own interests as patriarchs, as sexists, and they've ignored black women, even politically. And the irony is, I think the exact opposite is true in the sense that black men have actually advocated for community. This is why there's no such thing as a black male political agenda until we created it two years ago. The reason it never existed prior. I mean, even look at Ice Cube. Ice Cube's plan was it, he never said black men at any point. That was the interesting thing about the Cocktails with Queen's response to him about securing sh- something up for black women. He never said anything about black men. Right. And so at this point, this is the first time where we see black men actually starting to articulate a political platform for themselves. And the reason it's the first time is exactly what you're talking about. Because yeah, we, we have we, actually advocated for the community and for women, right? And not for us. 
that many black men well, can't even talk you, about an agenda specific to themselves. Well, we vote. Did, do you think what what number of black men do you think that that view black women are as political opponents of theirs? Because they operate as political opponents of black men, mm. Mm. not not just as a separate group, but like mm-hmm. as right. actual opponents. You know, it's, it's this weird kind of thing where. You know, like going back to when you were kids and your sister hit hits you and, and you're told not to hit her back. Right, right, right. I mean, right. that's kind of basically what, we, what we've been dealing with politically with black women for several generations now. Oprah, all that, they've been hitting you and, and we have just kind of refused to hit back. Right. You know, and in some cases, we've even refused to even protect ourselves from getting hit. Right. You know, and at what point do you just accept that she kicking your ass or she's a part of the group that's kicking your ass and Negro, it's time for you to fight back. Yeah, yeah, like I, I was I was gonna say black men in reference to black women, we vote against our interests. Mm-hmm. Against our interests mm-hmm. in exactly. to black women. Yeah, like mm-hmm. you know, it's again we We've been, you know, groomed like the word they like to use. They like to say, you know, black men are grooming young girls. Black women groom their sons. Oh, they groom the generation, the next generation of black men to worship and mm. serve mm-hmm. their interests mm-hmm. collectively, not personally, not individually, but collectively. Right. Right. I mean, one of the things that you notice if you look at your the black male political agenda that we put together here with you, Dr. Tiasan Johnson, is that nearly everything in that agenda is the polar opposite of what we've been getting, which has been supporting black females. So, right. I mean, we can just look at the agenda and go point by point and just look at it and say, yeah, most of this would be in pure opposition to, to what black women would want so mm-hmm. i mean just just looking at the agenda shows that you know we're on polar opposite sides of the political arena yeah it, just you know what's hi- interesting? it highlights uru's point but go ahead nameless what's interesting is and this is another suggestion i have and i had the privilege of being able to chop this up with sad dog and uh dr Gigi. revisit reconstruction and pay close attention to the way the 13th 14th and 15th amendment was actually put together and why And I made this statement a little while ago where I said that the only time there was ever a black male patriarchy in America was during Reconstruction. Mm. And because of its existence, the 3K camp and white supremacy as we know it rose and solidified its identity in the American fabric and context. In other Mm. words, this has always been about black men. Women were not even assumed in the conversation and language when it comes to our actual civil rights. Number one, the ending of slavery. Number two, our inclusion as citizens, specifically by by virtue of birthright, followed up by the right to vote. These are all requirements and, and questions that were being argued about and defined, which helped America become America, which was utterly and completely usurped during Jim Crow, using states' rights, and the consensus and alternative to addressing this was female suffrage. Mm. And I think that needs to be highlighted. Our rights as being able to fully function in this country was circumvented and let go of and set back in lieu of female suffrage. And when you look at the key actors that are in place, Ames likes to join the truth, 
Frederick Douglass, a bunch of other very, very familiar names start coming up and we begin to understand why we have our voting patterns the way we do and the phenomenon you're describing where we have this ruthless desire to try to protect and hold this unit together at all costs, but we sometimes fail to remember that we still have to win the fight. Because at the end of the day, for the most part, if we win, they win. And that's really how I see it. If black men are winning, if black men are doing what we're trying to do, are we really just denying our family access to the resources we're fighting for? Are black men getting positions of jobs and power and authority as best we can so we could just Scrooge McDuck this money and just sit on it for no reason? Right. We're doing it to right. take care of our community. Right. So if we win, they win. And if we understand that, it's like, you know, your kids throwing a tantrum, not trying to be disrespectful, but that's the way we need to view this understanding that the whole idea of civil rights was about you, black man, period. I, I think I think black men need to come to a realization because I, I, I hear what you're saying, uh, nameless, but understand what we consider the win is not what they consider the win. Mm. They don't want what you want. In other words, we're looking at, you know, uh, black boys who can't read and all this other stuff, all of these failures. And we're saying, OK, in order to prevent that, let's bring the community back. Understand. Just like white people who will say, OK, we don't mind the school getting shot up for our gun rights. They are willing to take those L's mm. for their perceived freedom, autonomy, et cetera, et cetera. That's the win for them. The, the win for them is being able to move how they want to move, not be up under no, no, no man, you know, black male authority. That's the win for them. So understand the stuff that we think is a communal win. Mm. They're willing to throw that away for what I'm talking about. Right. And they always have. Right. But that's my point. If they have demonstrated who and what they are, Mm. Look, move accordingly and keep it pushing. There's black exactly. women all over planet Earth. That's all I got to say. Uh -oh. exactly. Well, you, you exactly. know, like I, I said, maybe we won't have time for me to get into it, but I'll go say it <laughs> since we get this big, <laughs> big audience. I, I just, I believe we must formally, legally, uh, politically, and policy-wise separate from black women in this country. You know, and we must become a a separate formal group and i'm not just talking about political i'm talking mm -hmm. about just different like different legal people mm -hmm. and then all advocacy is is solely for black men black men and boys let me all let me, program all hold on dion one second Go ahead. let me ask Uru a question have black women sure. already done that yes they've already effectively done that you don't no, think I, they did that when they when they were no, negotiating with Goldman Sachs? Yes. You don't think they're doing it with Black Girl Magic and Black Girl Rocks and the Little Mermaid collected. and all that? You don't think that's, that they are already cutting their side deals? The Come point. on now. That's what I'm getting at because when we hear you ask the question, it sounds—I mean, people clutch their pearls like, "Oh my God, that's so extreme." I don't know if we should do that. But the question <laughs> we need to be asking is, did they already do it? Dr. T, they already did it. They were enabled to do it. They were allowed to do it. They were encouraged to do it. And they are reveling in doing it. They are reveling in it. 
And they're throwing it back in our face that they're doing it when they say things like black girl rock and black girl magic and, mm-hmm. and we can throw things in there. Nah, 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 nah. Look at what I got. Right. That's what they're saying. Yeah, and it's like it's like your older sister, you know, being given privilege above you and then throw it in your face that she's better than you when you're like you didn't do anything to get it. <laughs> so black so now it's time for us. And so now it's time for us to actually start being mister. Yeah, we have to. No, we don't need to be Mister, but we definitely need to separate <laughs> from black. No, no, Mister Dion, serious talk, serious yeah. talk. We we need we need to be we yeah. need to be Mister. We Jimmy need to be Mister. Like that. One at a time. We need to be Mister. I want to hear this argument. Back. I want to hear the Mister argument. Okay, <laughs> let, let me let me let me let me explain seriously. The reason why I say we need to be Mister. Now I ain't saying we gotta whoop that ass, but any other way, <laughs> any other way. <laughs> Gentlemen, I want you to, I really want you to think long and hard about what I'm finna tell you. For mm-hmm. the longest time that they pretty much been saying we've been like that, and there's no evidence, there's no right. evidence that they can pull up that collectively we have been acting like that. But now, like what Mr. Dion said, everything they get, they throw in our face, and we have to sit there and take it. So now when I say we need to be Mr. For the simple reason, well, hell, they've been giving us Shug a repeat. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And we and we've been told to drink, and we've been told to drink it uh, from the time we was little boys. I'm talking uh, about our mamas, auntie, and, and, and they watched us drink it, and they watched us drink it, and they smiled to themselves while they was watching us drink. It. Thank you. <laughs> Very uh, interesting how the movie The Color Purple is like this, this, this deep like <laughs> part right. of our culture. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You know why, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it can't be stated enough. And we see the usual suspects. I mean, like when we look at the oh, yeah. actual writer of that uh Woman King that came out, you know, I'm just reminded of Gloria Stein, Alice Walker 2.0. That's all yeah. this looks like. Keep in mind, keep in mind, people like uh, what's her name, KK from the star from Star Wars. Uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Kathleen, Kennedy. Kathleen, Kimmer- Kathleen Kennedy. She was Kathleen Kennedy. Kennedy. She was a producer on the Color Purple back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Serious? Oh yeah, yeah. She was on the original. So, so, Spielberg, all them folks. Oh, Six man, degrees of separation. Understand? Because oh, I remember at that time when black, when the few black men, whoever's got some sound in the background, you might need to mute. Um, I don't know who that is, but you know, back in the, back in the eighties, when some black men did complain about the color purple, one of the things I heard people say was, "It's just a movie. It's just a book." You know, I mean, why why can't we tell our story? And it ended up, like Marcus said, becoming a feature in the black community. Black men became Mister, and and I, I love the way you guys said it, brother. I think it was Delroy who said it a minute ago. Delroy, uh, we it, we became Mister without any evidence that we were mm-hmm. Mister. Anything the right. evidence showed that abuse was bi-directional, and in some years, black women's abuse <laughs> exceeded black men's. We we weren't Mister. We were Harpo, man. Come on now. Thank you. <laughs> and, and we've been Harpo, and we've been Harpo like for a long time. And we need to, at this point, exercise our power and, and don't take it anymore. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. I just 
you know what? Wait a Hold on. I just got hit. Come on now. Get, get yeah. Tell the truth. We've been heartbroken for about 50 some years. Yeah, right. Yeah. We've been heartbroken. I went to Black Lives Matter. We've been heartbroken. We've been heartbroken. We've been punishment. We've been getting our ass whooped. We've been heartbroken for a long time. Bossed around, tossed around, cursed out. You could go to World Star right now and see an example of what we're talking about. Right now. Check this out, Mr. T. Look, I was a grown man back then. I saw it all up close and personal, and it wasn't nice at all. It wasn't near about nice. I'll give you another example. I'll give you guys another example of how we've been treated. Now, now this might age me a little bit, but if anybody remember the old Tom and Jerry cartoons with, with the man, with the mammy character, mm. and you notice she used to always take, she oh. used to always take that broom to Tom. You notice that? Oh. That, that was us. Wow. That was us. Wow. <laughs> it's deep. It, it gets deep, man. Oh. It gets deep. If you go all the way back to Lazy Town, if you ever get a chance, look up the the, the black card. Yeah, saw that in my class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. that deep. Well, look here, fellas. We we coming up on the two and a half hour mark. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna work backward on the screen and give everybody an opportunity for some closing thoughts. And we'll start with Douglas because I think he's having sound issues. So I want him to get it in before his cuts out. Douglas, give, give us your closing thoughts about this. Sure. So uh, really glad to see this conversation happening. I think it's long overdue for us as black men to really take serious our own plight. Uh, and I think right now is a, a great opportunity for us to, you know, leverage, um, you know, our influence. I mean, the focus is on us, attention is on us, so we ought to use it. We, we shouldn't squander this moment and right. use it to build on uh, going forward. So uh, I think this is a good first step, and I hope this spreads throughout uh, the rest of the brothers on here and, you know, folks that didn't get to listen tonight or listen later on. Absolutely. Appreciate you coming up, man. Y'all check out Douglas Jefferson and, and tell them how to support Naga. Sure. So if you're uh, interested in learning more about the organization, you can check us out on our website, www.naaga.co, and also on uh, major social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, also, if you want to join, you can join at our website, same website, www.naaga.co. And by membership, uh, it's only uh, $39.99 a year. So we try to keep it, you know, pretty, pretty inexpensive for folks, uh, you know, because we know financial challenges are a real thing. And, you know, we've all got budgets, uh, just everybody's budget is a different size. So, uh, yeah. yeah, definitely uh, support that way. And then find your local chapter as well, which you can find on the website and, and participate that way. All right, man. Appreciate you, Douglas. Thank you for coming up and dropping some of that. Much needed. Let's hit uh, Delray Worst. Uh, go ahead and give us some, your closing thoughts about this, brother. Yeah, like I say, um, I know for me, I've been like listening to the Manusfield for the past, what, three years? You guys probably can't tell, you know, by how I talk now, but I had a real bad speech impediment, you know what I'm saying, when I first started listening to you guys. And one of the things that I did um, listening to one of the former content creators was um I finally got the nerve up, you know, to go seek some some counsel, you know what I'm saying, to get my speech back. And as you guys see now, you can't get me to stop talking. I mean <laughs> and, and with all of this that's and with all of this that's going on, I literally see it around me and I am so happy because I can sit down with my son who's 23 
mm-hmm. and he just graduated from Florida, Florida um, Atlantic University with a degree in architecture. He just nice. graduated. Nice. Congrats and, to your son. And and congrats I, to you, man. And I and I look at this boy, and 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 I literally start crying. I hear you because I, hear you. I, I know that I probably won't be here to see everything fulfilled but i actually see the light at the end of the tunnel right. and my and my own father's and my own father my father's 77 years old and he tells me he never would have thought this day would come right so this is this is this is amazing for me amen and, I'm, and I, I i'm just being i'm just blessed to be able to get some things rolling on my end and just watch it come to fruition amen. and on that note yeah. I'll let you guys go. Thanks for having me, yeah. you fellas. Appreciate you up here. And I understand exactly what he means. I was going to do this show last night, but I had to take my son to a college fair. So watching my son interacting with, you know, representatives from different colleges this time next year, God willing, he should be at one. And the reality of how much he's grown just hit me in the face. So I, I feel you. Uh, let me go ahead and get Nameless, who I'm really glad was able to come through today. I like hearing his voice. I like hearing his thoughts. I, I don't get to hear him enough. And each of you that are here, if you have channels, I want you to big up where you are so people can find you. But Nameless, go ahead and give us your closing thoughts, brother. Definitely uh, to the chat and to the panel. Definitely appreciate you having me up. Um, I mean, I, I said it earlier. We need to just take a look if you can. Malcolm X's speech, Ballad of Bullet. It's so relevant to this point. Take some time and do a little research on the Reconstruction Era because it will recontextualize your your relationship with the United States and the political conversation that we're having now. And I think you'll find a very solid template and understanding of where we need to move and where your real obstacles are. Our opponents aren't necessarily white supremacy. They are. If White supremacy is a religion, then the gynocracy is a cult. And Uh-oh. that's what we're dealing with right now. You know, mm-hmm. so I advocate, I advocate political Mandalorianism, be it the empire or the republic. If they're cutting a check, keep it pushing. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you can't be a, a soldier of fortune, be a voter of fortune. Look at it like that. Be a voter of fortune. Nameless. Because no one else is going to advocate for you, family. Go ahead. All right. Nameless. Uh, this is the way. <laughs> exactly <laughs> but with that family, this is the way <laughs> this is the way so definitely pay attention get this on the playback with the info from the brothers you heard speaking earlier um we're not on the plantation anymore man this is our ritual of emancipation because without you. us having our own political block being respected by name and right. without exploiting the timing here we're not going to get another window but i promise you 20 23 is going to be all about politics and it's going to be all about reining your behind back to that spot where they want you at mm. and you can say no okay but with that said fam thanks for having me up you guys enjoy the rest of your night hey man thanks for coming up appreciate it and just so everybody knows all the links to everything that's been on the screen will be in the description box when we're done with the video give me about you know five minutes i'm gonna try to put it up before everybody closes their thoughts but the links will all be available so you can explore anything you saw on the screen tonight. Dion, go ahead and give us your closing thoughts. Well, first off, I'd like to thank you for having us up. Um, and my thoughts are, are this. I mean, you only get one opportunity um, for a moment like this where 
kind of all the, the planets have aligned for us as black men to make our voices heard. And we need to make our voices heard in this upcoming, you know, election season and be strategic about it and let them know that we did whatever we decide we're going to do in this upcoming election. And for all my brothers in Georgia, do not vote for Stacey Abrams. She does not have your best interests at heart. And I don't see a way forward with the Democratic Party at this point. And we're going to have to force them to take us seriously. And this is the opportunity. All right. Again. All right. Appreciate that, man. Thank you. Um, Black Uru, who I am happy came up tonight. And you know I had to get on you, man. It's like, you better not be in the chat and not come up in here, man. So, I, I heard you. <laughs> I heard you say, damn, I guess like, I can't, I come up. Hey, Thanks come on, for man. having me, Doc. Uh, it's a great pleasure as always to be on your panel, talk with you, talk with other illustrious men on your panel. Um, a lot of things have already been said. Uh, I'll just maybe reiterate that uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a great opportunity for black men. I know it's just Georgia. And if you don't live in Georgia, you're like, well, how does it relate to me? There's a lot of eyes on this election. Mm-hmm. A lot, everybody, everybody mm-hmm. is concerned about this election in this country right now. Every major political entity is. It, mm-hmm. Because, again, way, the way this election goes will determine how a lot of other things are done. Yeah. A lot of other things. Georgia's an important place in the South, deep South. Uh, so there's a lot of interest there and how this go <clears throat> will determine how a lot of other things go. This is a great opportunity mm-hmm. for black men to stake a claim in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, for too long, we haven't really been a part of the game. We've been on sidelines watching, you know, black girls rock and all that kind of stuff. Well, t- time's over for that. Now it's time for black men to have a voice, to, to be a force. Separate from them, what are our interests? What are our agenda? Mm-hmm. Black men and boys, what are they? Right. And and how do we make that happen? And as I said earlier, I think the best step you could take is for Abram to lose this election, for black men to be blamed for it, and then black men to assume blame for it and say, this is what we're going to do in Illinois. Right. This is what we're going to do in New York. This is what we're going to do in Missouri if our issues and our matters aren't taken serious. Right. And you, I, I think a lot of us will be surprised how suddenly important our voices are, including and especially in this particular environment. Great opportunity for that. And, and I hope we capitalize on that. Uh-huh. So thanks uh-huh. again, Doc. No, thank you. And I think even Charles Blow agrees with you because he said in his article that this issue, everything going on in Atlanta is more than likely national. And I agree. I think it is. Uh, so I appreciate you coming up, man. Let me go ahead and uh, and get the final word from Keep It 100 himself. Appreciate you okay. coming through, man. Close us yeah. out. Most deaf, most deaf. Um, you know, as always, SYSBM, I encourage black men to only support people who are offering you something directly. Forget the, you know, we, we all know the language already. We know it already. People of color, minorities, we know the trick bag language already. So we don't, we don't have to talk about it deeply. We don't have to wonder, 
hey, does it mean us? And we we see how things get carried out when that language right. is used. Right. So we've we've been around this block enough times to know what that is, what it looks like. And uh, you know, if and if if they're not specifically saying black men, if the candidate is not specifically saying that, then that's definitely what they do not mean. They are talking to these other groups that benefit from these things. Never consider the thing that you're asking for a handout. Handout is a racially loaded word. It's a racially loaded term to say, well, anything that we give to you is a handout because everything else they they give a give away is aid or it's funding or, you know, a better word than handout because everybody gets handouts. I was on Bernard's show. I asked how many black men get on social services for life mm. as a recipient. Mm. You don't see too much of that. You see women do that. Women are used to getting things handed to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these other groups of people, same thing. If, if they're not getting it from the federal government, they get it from their own communities and their own culture. So don't be afraid to demand something from the, from the, from the government you pay taxes to right. and from politicians that you vote in the office. And they mm-hmm. owe it to you directly. They owe it to you to speak to you directly. If not, sit at home. Yeah, I'm not standing in line for nobody who doesn't speak to me directly. And, you know, if we can do that in every other context, we can do it here. Let me ask you a question before you close out, man. In your lifetime, have you seen a serious difference in the quality of life for black men based on who's been in office? Has a serious, been, a serious <laughs> difference that has, has one party just demonstrated unequivocally that they are the, the far superior party in terms of the quality of life for black men. What have you noticed? I'm just curious. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know if in my lifetime, I can't say that, that, that I've seen that. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't say that someone has demonstrated not only a uh you know a uh an in an effort to appeal to black men but you they get in office and they actually do the things you know uh for black men that they either said they were gonna do or even if they said black people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right I, I never see anything specifically done for black men other you know when they talk about earlier we were talking about prison reform and this and that and usually if they do anything for black men it's usually the 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 felons or the criminals are right you know that that group they never do anything to advance black men they want to rescue black men from their crimes or mandatory minimums or this this these sorts of things you understand understand what i'm saying so um yeah. So as far as a big difference, no, usually that comes from, I don't know, you know, usually people like a Robert Smith or this one or that one. It never comes from the state or the federal government. See, here's here's why I asked you the question. And we got Hitflix. He says, I'm 52. I haven't seen any difference between the parties in my lifetime. Right. The reason I asked the question is because black men have been put in a position where we have nothing to lose. Right. Quality of life is usually about the same, regardless of who's in office. 
Now, that right. can be a very powerful political position to use if used strategically. If I have nothing to lose and my quality of life doesn't change regardless of who's in office, then I will kick this table over and let it burn if my interests aren't met. Because at the end of the day, my life didn't cha wouldn't change one way or the other in any significant way. See, I was talking to guys this morning on Bernard's show, and they were trying to make a... Uh, a better of the two evils argument with me for the Republican Party. Okay. And I didn't understand where they were coming from. And they thought that I was coming from a liberal Democrat position debating them. And I think most people, if they listen to enough of me talking, they would know that I don't side with either party. Um, but you know, I agree with. Oh, no, but see, but that's important because I suspect, and I'm, and you know what, I'm saying this from the gut, and I as, and I'm saying this as a scholar. I didn't research this, and I need to. My yeah. suspicion is more black men are willing to be. You know, I think uh, what nameless called what he, what he called. It, I never heard a term for it before, but he called it what is it political Mandalorianism. <laughs> right, right. I, I really think, and this is what Ice Cube was demonstrating. Right. He went to both parties and said, I have a plan. Which one are you going to back it? That's political Mandalorianism. I think more yeah. black men are willing to, to fall into that because we've not really been courted and backed by any one party. So at the end of the day, that can be a very dangerous strategic piece on the board. And I think we yeah. need to use it strategically in that way. But go ahead and finish. I, yeah. your I mean, I, I think that that's where we're headed. <clears throat> You know, I did a video called The New Society. And, you know, you know, we've seen the pictures, the prom pictures of the black kids with the white girls. I think that that's just, you know, a small piece of where we're headed. I think that as we move along, whether it be this generation or the next, you'll see uh, black boys and black men moving in that fashion where, like you said, you know, uh, Mandalorianism or, you know, uh, what, what they call them, the... Uh, uh man what's what's the word you know when you when you when you're working for yourself you 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 can you can what 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 was well he was a bounty hunter but okay but you get what i'm saying like you know where, where you don't you, you don't take a side you take your own side i think that as we mm -hmm. move forward you know uh you'll see more of that politically yeah. um no we we don't have anything to lose a game from any any side i think that the only thing that drives us told with one space is you know the fact that we're groomed by you know our own women to right, vote right. their interests exactly. and against our own because they've hitched their wagon to the democratic party they know that the party see the, the difference really in terms of black women as right. far as the focus is de democrats and republicans is democrats have demonstrated a willingness to acknowledge that they exist republicans right. don't They've hitched their wagon to the Democrats and they know that they're going to get more out of them than they will from Republicans. And they've told us and socialized us from childhood. Our community has the largest percentage of single mothers. Right? right. We've been socialized from childhood to think democratically. But I think what Nameless is identifying uh, BGS has long since called political amoralism. We need to be at a point where we prioritize our interests and those interests need to be defined by what we need in the environment. What, you know what what our specific needs are and we work with who's willing to work with us and if nobody's willing to work with us and i quote something antonio moore said years ago then we you know we take our ball and go home right as we as we 
kind of move into a space where we're, you know, um, mentally, you know, uh, separated, you know, we cut that umbilical cord from black women mentally, then we'll definitely move into that space that you're talking about. Okay. Well, look, collective. I want people to check out uh, the Keep It 100 channel. Um, I'm, I keep putting the name up because I want you to see how it's spelled. Go check the brother out. When's your next show? Oh, we we I'm I'm on this Saturday, man. Uh, I just hit two thousand peeps. So uh, shout right. out to everybody that's in the uh, chat right now who already follows me. Um, yeah, we just hit the two thousand mark. I, you know, small victory for me. You know, but a brand new. You know, well, I ain't gonna say I'm brand new, but but you get the point. Um, yeah, hey. man. So I hear this you. Saturday, Saturday night live, man, as usual. What what time? Saturday Night Live, uh, 7.30 West Coast time, 10.30 uh, Eastern, you know, East, East, East Coast. Okay. And you know, uh, you know what the subject is for this week? You still thinking about it? Uppity Negro swag, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate you coming through, bro. No doubt, man. Peace. Good Peace. Looking. No doubt. All right. Uh, let me get this thing. All right. So I appreciate y'all coming through tonight. I think we had a, an interesting discussion, and I, I would argue that uh, this is a, a powerful political moment. I think even tonight's show contributed to, contributed uh, a great deal to what black men are going to do next. Even if nobody acknowledges us directly, we can see we're having an effect. We can see that people are listening, even though they don't purposely point us out. But it's having an impact. And the more black men begin to dialogue with one another about their specific political interests, regardless of their ideological camp, I think we find we have more in common than not, especially around the issues that we've been grappling with for decades, regardless of your camp, as I said. So that said, I want to share with you or remind you one more time to make sure you support the Onyx Network. Check out the uh, content. Uh, I'm going to be diversifying it quite a bit, but I do want feedback from you as to what can be done with this channel, what you'd like to see happen, uh, how you can, you know, what you'd be willing to to, uh, to to really invest in in terms of, you know, regular content. Uh, mind you, right now, the only content that up there is mine because that's the content I have copyright free access to. But if you have any ideas as to what I can do, please go ahead and support. You can also go to Patreon, same Patreon link you see on the screen, patreon.com slash TH Johnson. And there is now a new support measure there where you can actually support the Onyx Network directly. So you can support the Institute for Black Male Studies. You can support the Onyx Report here on YouTube and or you can support the Onyx Network. So this is how we get black media going, black male media going. It comes from the ground up. There's no corporate sponsorship. You know, you're not seeing any of that. The only commercials on my channel are for the merchandise I sell through the Institute for Black Male Studies. So that said, help me build it up. Help me make it what can be of use to you, uh, Black men. And other than that, y'all have a good night. Peace. I am here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man-children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unintelligent henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, 
unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace. Thank you.